Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fengliff coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. The thing I like about Fridays uh, is that I don't have to talk much because we have so many uh, reporters joining us. Except for last week. Everybody took a vacation. <laughs> there was nobody here. This <laughs> is just me and Pia. We were sort of rambling on incoherently for uh, for most of the show. Derek was gone. Amber was gone. Uh, Shirley was in, the, I think, Washington or somewhere. And or maybe no, Shirley, I think, was the only one who was here. Uh, Jim was gone. <laughs> it was crazy. Today we're all through. We're through. We've got uh, Mike Clinch is going to join us again. He's our local uh, earth science uh, teacher, retired, and we're going to talk about the the politics of uh, of the, the the hurricane and climate change. I call it political climate change. Anyway, let's get to Amber Kemper and the Constitution Report. Uh, I'm, I, I promise I'm going to make you a theme. I really am. I've, I've got the music in my head. I've got, uh, I got this is just, you know, this thing's been busy. We've been so busy. Did you hear the show yesterday? We had Dr. Stella Emanuel. We had Judy Mikovits called in. Just um, I texted her. I said, hey, why don't you join us? And she's like, okay. <laughs> it was one of those wow. days. Oh, yeah. It's one of those spontaneous yeah. days. I'm in radio. I know people, right? So, you know, I can do stuff like this. Um, it's it's outrageous, um, but uh, yeah. So we had, uh, and then uh, John Cullen, our data expert, um, the man who masters numbers, he actually called in an hour late. So I had everybody in one hour. So it's like real quiet for a while. Then this, uh, then John calls in, Doctor Emmanuel calls in. Uh, we're all on first name basis. So John, Stella, and Judy, and that's Judy Mikovits, uh, probably one of the world's greatest uh, molecular biologists, uh, biochemists in the world today. And they're all on the show at once. Wow. <laughs> you know, we're all going back that's and crazy. forth and. Uh, Oh, it was. We can listen to it. Oh, it's hysterical. But uh, Stella was was brilliant. She's wonderful. She's got a, an accent. You got to kind of listen um, to get through. But uh, now she's hopefully going to get us uh, in touch with America's frontline doctors, and they're going to start talking mm-hmm. about our legislation. You know, the vaccine product liability and the yeah. um, the, the ban on uh, on censorship. You know, from big tech. Have you read those bills? Just out of curiosity, before we talk about I have stuff. read them. What do you think? I, I've read the one on. Uh... The vaccine liability, mm-hmm. and I definitely agree. You know, the the your local donut shop will have more liabilities than isn't that a great example? You know. <laughs> yeah, Joe's donut yeah. shop. You know, if you get a bug in your donut, you know, you can sue them. But if uh, if you if your kid right. dies from a Pfizer shot, then uh, nothing happens. That to me is irrational. Right. That is the definition of insanity, right there. Yeah, under no circumstances <laughs> should any company that is giving a product not be held liable for their product. Mm-hmm. And which is not to Unless say we want frivolous lawsuits either. Unless you sign something that says I'm not liable. Yeah, go ahead. Say, say that again. I, know, I sort of jumped on you there um, a bit. Unless you, sign, unless you sign something that says, you know, I'm not being – I won't hold the company liable for this action. Mm, there is a doctrine of law that says you can't sign away your rights. So even if you do sign something like that, it's not valid. You can still mm. go back and sue uh, because you you can't be required to sign. Well, uh, places like um, zip lines come to mind, for example, where you sign a waiver saying you will not hold the company responsible. You're, they're not liable. Da, da, da. That does not hold up in court. You can still sue them. If you can prove negligence, if you can prove that, I think that's just a way to discourage people from doing anything. But the truth right. is you cannot sign away your rights. You know, if you sign, if you join an apartment complex, uh, like a public housing thing, that's a, and you promise never to own guns, they can't hold you to that because owning guns is a Second Amendment right. They can't prohibit that. Right. 
You know, so, so you cannot sign away, which is an interesting constitutional uh, thing. I, I'm not sure where that is, but if you want to look that up sometime, but there is a doctrine somewhere. Uh, so this would be, once again, you call the show, you got homework. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, that might be an interesting study is to find out in law where it is that you cannot sign away your rights. So that's, uh, if you want to bring that up next week, you know, feel free. But uh, yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Now, when you read the vaccine bill, did it, you know, you're not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. I mean, I wrote it for non-lawyers. Did it make sense? Is there anything that was unclear? Is there anything you think we could improve on in that bill? It's been a while since I read it, mm-hmm. but when I read it, it made sense. Okay. I have updated it. I have uh, changed the very last section, so it's actually easier to read now. I went over it really carefully because okay. that's the bill that's getting scrutiny now, too, because people are looking at it. You know, people are sending it to right. Congress. People, it's going into media. Judy Mikovits is mentioning it in every conference that she goes to. So we're talking about some major um, folks are, are starting to hear about this. And then we start to get some of the bigger folks are trying to get on Dell Big Tree Show. We're trying to get some other places, trying to get Robert Kennedy uh, involved with this as well. This bill is going to go national. It's just a matter of time now uh, because nobody's doing it. Congress can't do it. You know, they get too much money from Big Pharma, which raises mm-hmm. the question, if you have corporations that are so powerful, they can effectively ban legislation that makes infinite sense. Do you have a republic? Or do you have a corporatocracy? What do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely think that's no longer a republic when you, when you can't, you know, hold companies accountable. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's almost worse than that because those companies are so powerful, they can actually make right. law to protect themselves that is ridiculous that nobody else could do it. Again, Joe's Donut Shop, you know, uh, Fred's Bricks, you know, uh, anybody, you know, Shirley's Hair Salon, you know, if they do products that, uh, that cause problems or, or things happen. You know, if uh, one of the hair people, you know, does something injurious or, or, you know, whatever, nothing serious, but I'm just saying they're all liable for that. And they all have insurance for that. Right. So not only does Big Pharma not have any liability, they don't even have to have liability insurance. I never thought of that till just now. But that, mm-hmm. is, that is an unfair competitive edge over other companies that do have to have liability. Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, take a look when you get a chance again, if, if you like, and, that one, and the big tech censorship bill. You know, it might be interesting in classes. If you can work them into your classes, you know, there's something new because no one else is going to have that. So, you know, feel free. We actually talked about uh, electric vehicles in one of my classes. Oh, good. So what did you talk fun. about? Tell me. Tell me. We talked, it was my speech class, and we were talking mm-hmm. about um, how to prepare an outline of a speech. Mm-hmm. And so we, the topic was electric vehicles and how much we dislike them. And so we were going through the list of <laughs> did you what, record this? what was is, wrong is this with video? electric vehicles. I wish is, I had. Oh, it was no. A you got to get friends to record it. It was a good – I know. Oh, it was really Amber. Fun, yeah, well, here's why, because we, uh, you know, we have like 30 groups here, right? Well, 20, whatever. But we have an action radio video page. And so any speech that you make, anything like that, you know, the only people that you, you can't post unless you're in the video, unless you made it or you're in it. And so, uh, so yeah, but you'd be welcome to join the page and, uh, you know, any or project and anything that you do like that. I'd love to have it on the um, on our page. I know you're not a big Facebook fan, but uh, it's, it, you know, yeah. if you ever if you ever get to be then uh, we have a lot of groups and a lot of information that goes that way. So tell me, tell me what, uh, what, how the speeches went. I'm curious. We had, we were talking about the outlines. So like we didn't go in depth into everything, mm-hmm. but the points that were brought up was that it takes a long time to charge. Mm-hmm. It, um, it's expensive and hard to get. 
And then uh-huh. the battery waste was the other one. Okay. And did you talk about the things that we want to talk about in our bill, which is the fact that cars pay uh, a gasoline tax, I think 13 mm-hmm. cents in California on top of a, you know, maybe a 30 cent federal, I'm not sure it is, Florida actually waived the gas tax for the month of October, which really yeah, isn't going to help them. Yeah, it's, it costs us billions of dollars, and it's 25 cents, uh, which, yeah, it's 25 mm-hmm. cents a gallon. It, it, you know, if you're a, a, a major, you know, if you own a cab company, yeah, you're saving a lot of money. But for the average person, 25 cents on, on a 350, which will soon be 450 gallon, is not a whole lot. Florida, uses a ton, Florida loses a ton of revenue. And now that the Saudis have cut their production 2 million barrels a day uh, to – counter Brandon's 1 million barrel, you know, subsidy, which I call a campaign expense of our strategic petroleum reserve. We're still Mm -hmm. down a million barrels a day. You know, so it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So the gas, so what we need to do, and uh, Amber and I were talking about this a little bit off air and and emailing back and forth. We're trying to get Grover Norquist on the show. And so this is a really good example of gatekeepers, of minions. Now Grover's been on the show. He loved being on the show. He said that we had a really good idea with our citizen legislation, so I know he'll want to come back on the show, but I can't get to him. And this happens all the time. Minions, people with no vision. You know, sorry, uh, you know, Americans for Tax Reform. You, you've got people there with no vision. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm also say it bluntly because otherwise – I mean, I've been trying for two months. So here's a question. How do you get past the minions? You may even know. I'm just, you know, what do you do when you want to get, uh, you know, get to the main person and the people that you have to talk to? Have no idea what you're doing. Have no idea of the potential. Don't understand anyway. Yet they're controlling access to the person who does understand. That's my problem. Yeah. I don't know how to help there. <laughs> okay, give him a call. Uh, anything else? There on you the, go. Well, here's, here's, yeah, I, I think you should do it. Give, give him a shout. It's a good experience. It's fun. Uh, and you're, you know, welcome to invite anybody. If you invite Grover on Norquist on the show, oh boy, <laughs> you get a huge round of applause for that. <laughs> um, but no, go for it. Try it. You never know. As a college student, you have an advantage. You do. You know, you're young, you know, you're learning stuff. I mean, the, everybody likes to help college students, me included. Um, and so that makes a difference, I think. So that might be to your advantage. But let me ask you another question about le- electric cars on it from, since this is the Constitution report. Is it constitutional to favor one type of power over another? And you favor electricity over gasoline in law. I don't think there's anything about favoring one or the other, mm-hmm. but it needs to be a fair and equal playing field. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't subsidize one thing so much that it's prioritizing it over the other. Yeah, and I have a – how do you think about this argument, too? In California, they're trying to ban gasoline cars. Now, I don't know if right. the state runs gasoline cars. <laughs> I don't know if the state has a fleet or have they all converted to natural gas, but they're still using organic fuel. We don't use fossil fuel anymore. We're, we're the modern show. So they use organic fuel. <laughs> right? well, I do, I've, you know me. I change language on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my favorite one is rhinos. <laughs> you know what I call rhinos, right? Yes. <laughs> you don't uh, have to say it. Transgender Democrats, that's what Transgender Democrats, exactly. So oil, so fossil fuels, because everybody's seen Jurassic Park. We know we don't get oil from, you know, white bones locked in rock. I'm sorry, it just doesn't happen. Fossils are not providing your, your fuel. Uh, organic material, you know, this mud algae mixture that was, you know, billions upon billions of tons compressed over millions of years to, through heat and pressure, that's where oil comes from, okay? It doesn't come from 
fossils. So why we're calling them fossil fuels is a way to denigrate them and make you think that there's not much left. That's why they do that. That's it's propaganda. So why can't I say organic fuels? Anyway, the question is, um, the, in, the, in the power plants in California, they use natural gas. In the fleet of California vehicles, state vehicles, they use natural gas. Well, that's still a hydrocarbon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still the same thing. And so the question is, here's a constitutional question again. Is it legal for the state to ban one form of gasoline while using another form to create the power to power the first form? Right. Explain. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be legal, but I don't think it accomplishes their goal. Hmm. What, what do you think their goal is? To not use fossil fuels, to save the environment. Mm, what else might be going on? Uh, control of the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my thought now. Because here's another question, too. And I know we're off topic, but it's kind of fun. Um, it suddenly occurred to me that it's not oil that the left hates. It's American oil. Because they'll go mm-hmm. anywhere else in the world to get it. Unless it comes here. Like, they could, don't have the Keystone Pipeline, even though that's Canadian oil, because that helps us as uh-huh. Americans. They don't want the oil being drilled here by Americans. They don't want American workers drilling for oil. They don't want Americans having low-cost energy because we can go wherever we want then. We can go a lot further on, on uh, you know, $1.55 a gallon, which I think uh, Pianchi said was the lowest it was in Louisiana. You know, or like a dollar, I think the national lowest average is like $1.85 a gallon. Well, you can go a lot further on $1.85 a mm-hmm. gallon than you can on four fifty a gallon, and certainly six fifty, which is going to be in California. So right. that's freedom. So, so raising the price of gasoline actually takes a greater percentage of your freedom because you have less discretionary money to do things. You still got to go to essential places. So the question is, if they don't, if they love Saudi oil, if they love Venezuelan oil, if they love oil from anywhere else, but here, what is it about American oil that they so despise? Right. Well, all I can think of is freedom. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that's a big part, you know, controlling the people. But I think it could also be, you know, there's this whole global warming scare. Uh-huh. I think they might want to minimize the American footprint of it. But but actually, ours like is pretty minor. small. Isn't ours pretty small compared know, to say, China small, or India? Yeah. We have one of the smallest footprints. But if we burn foreign oil, if we burn foreign oil here. How does that reduce the footprint? Because we're still burning oil. Right. We're, we're having those other countries drill for more oil to provide mm-hmm. for us, increasing their carbon footprint. So we still have a play in other people's carbon footprint. Right. But the carbon footprint is where the, where the, the petroleum is used, where, where it's burned, where it's used in an internal combustion engine. It's not where it's drilled. I thought what, it was what makes just- Ah, okay, this is, this is a good question. Okay, let's, effects, let's explore this. Go ahead. I thought it was just the effects of the, like, how you affect the environment. So how do you it's affect like the general... environment? Okay, so how do you affect the environment drilling for oil? It's not a clean way to drill. Okay, so granted, yes, and if you have a spill, and if a tanker, you know, leaks, which has happened, the Exxon Valdez is a famous case. Well, the captain was drunk. That's an interesting case study uh, if you're looking at environmental mm-hmm. things. But the actual drilling for oil. So the carbon, in the, what, what they say a carbon footprint, the carbon has to be released into the atmosphere or released into the environment. So the way carbon is released is 
oil, gasoline, diesel, you know, uh, various petroleum compounds, you know, kerosene, jet fuel, that kind of stuff, it has to be burned because you have to release the carbon dioxide in the water. So oil is, is a hydrocarbon. It's a, you know, octane, you know, when you say octane on your fuel, octane is a carbon. This is one of the benefits of, this, the only course, I, course in college I failed was organic chemistry, but I actually do remember some of it. Mm-hmm. So carbon is, so, so octane is an eight carbon chain. That's what makes up oil. And so the, the more bonds in that eight carbon chain, the higher the octane. The higher the octane, the more resistance to uh, what they call detonation or, or explosive burning because it's harder to break the carbon apart. So you can, you can burn it at higher temperatures and higher pressures and get more energy out of the breaking of those bonds. That's how an internal combustion engine works. It burns, it burns hydrocarbons, in other words, fuel, gasoline, diesel, stuff like that. Hmm. So in breaking that up, in breaking that hydrocarbon up, Part of it, you know, bonds with oxygen. That's where you get H2O. And part of it uh, bonds with oxygen becomes CO2, carbon dioxide. So carbon dioxide gets released into the environment. And the theory, do you know the theory of global warming? This is kind of fun, right? This might be a good... Now, Mike's going to talk about this in, at the 8 o'clock hour, so you might want to uh, catch the podcast or if you can listen in, that'd be good. Or you can even call back. I don't care. It's kind of fun. But, but what do you understand to be how global warming works, if, if you don't mind me asking? Is it... I may be wrong on this, but isn't it the way that the earth is gradually growing warmer and we see more water in the ocean, more hurricanes, less of an ice cap? Well, that's what they say. (laughs) Right. But, but the question is, how does the earth warm? What, what is it about carbon dioxide that makes the earth warm? And we can, we can do the Constitution next no week, if you don't mind. mind. <laughs> yeah. The Constitution's not going to go away, so we can always pick it up next week. But this is, I think this is a really important discussion, uh, considering we just had a major hurricane here uh, in central Florida. Uh-huh. So how does carbon dioxide make the Earth warm? I have no clue on that answer. So, no, that's really important. And I'm not, I'm not doing this to, to accuse you of not knowing how it works. I want to illustrate a point that most people do not know how carbon allegedly right. warms the Earth. So the question is, if nobody knows, why are people accepting on such a mass scale? Now, I know you don't accept it, but the question is, people don't know how carbon dioxide allegedly warms the earth. So how can they accept the theory of global warming, which is just the theory? How can they do that? Because is it science or faith, <laughs> you know, or blind allegiance? What do you think? Right. I, I think they just believe whatever they're told. Okay. And we've we've gotten into this mindset of just we're listening and we believe. You know, we're That's sheep. the scariest thing I've heard all day. Uh, so what are your friends saying? You know, when you uh-huh. talk about this, uh, I don't know if you talk about it in class. I don't know if you have a, an environmental or, or weather class. Or, but what are people talking about on campus? What are they saying about climate change? Who's worried? Who's not? What are the arguments? I haven't really heard a big discussion about climate change on campus. Okay. Or, or, or global warming. Huh. That surprises me. I would have thought, uh, well, I guess it depends on the campus. The, the, the more liberal campuses are probably going crazy right now. They're probably, uh, you know, hanging banners yeah. out their windows. Oh, please save me from global warming. Please, please, please save me. Yeah, okay, there's no problem. First of all, the Earth's not warming. Uh, we're entering a maunder minimum. We're entering a, a sunspot pause. We're entering a global cooling period for the next 30 years. Idiots. That's the first thing. <laughs> Second thing is that the polar ice caps are increasing, the polar bears are increasing in population, and the theory goes, it's called the greenhouse effect. 
and the greenhouse effect. Let me sort of run you by run, run the logic by you and, and tell me what you think. So the greenhouse effect is, says that carbon dioxide, increasing carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, creates kind of a shield, kind of creates a, a simulated glass greenhouse where the energy of the sun passes through, but it can't return back to space. It actually bounces back. So energy comes in, but it doesn't leave. And just like a greenhouse, which is a glass, you know, enclosure, you know, uh, the carbon dioxide creates the same effect, and therefore the, the heat of the earth cannot escape, and therefore the earth warms. Now, do you see any similarities between carbon dioxide and glass? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ask that question for a reason. Because when you look at this, it, it, it's, it, you know, it makes no sense. Okay? So, right. now, go ahead. Now, greenhouse, you can see the greenhouse effect. You ever get into, into your car when the windows are up, even though it's a cold day? What happens? Right? It's, it's hot warm. in there. Yeah. Well, why is it yeah. warm? Well, because the solar radiation, the ultraviolet, went through the windows and couldn't get back out again. That's what a greenhouse does. Right. Yeah. What does a greenhouse also do? Give you a little, little greenhouse knowledge here. I have no idea. It's been a while since I took science. Oh, okay. Well, this is your science morning. <laughs> a greenhouse pumps in carbon dioxide. Oh, wait a minute. Carbon dioxide is a bad thing, like right? Counters. So yeah. why, would, why would greenhouses be pumping in carbon dioxide? I have no idea. Because the plants breathe it. <laughs> That's what makes plants grow. You know, carbon dioxide is to plants as oxygen is to humans. They breathe it. They breathe carbon dioxide. Yeah. So if you, have, if you have more carbon dioxide in the air, what does that do to the plants? It helps them to grow. And what does it do to the carbon dioxide? It increases. Wait, yeah, it increases. No, actually it decreases Decrease. it. Decreases. Right. Because what's happening? The plants are breathing more carbon dioxide. So the more carbon dioxide we release, the more plants breathe, the more plants grow because they've got more carbon dioxide. So where's the problem? I don't see one. Things that you can use. You know, so this this will come in handy one day. I don't know when. So here's the other thing too. Here's the, and then we'll uh, we can dash away. You know, we're gonna get Shirley in a few minutes here. But um, carbon dioxide. Do you know how much of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide? I don't remember the exact number. Okay, so air is basically seventy two percent nitrogen, twenty two percent oxygen, one percent everything else. I think I got my math right. Seventy two. 92, 8% everything else. <laughs> okay, so and, and 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 less than one percent point. I think it's like 0.4%. No, 0.6%. So it's less than 1%. It's a little over half. Half a percent is carbon dioxide. Now, if you had, and here's my other favorite example, which goes along with Joe's Donut Shop for liability. If you have a, a colander and you're straining spaghetti and the entire coverage of the colander is 0.6%, 0.6 of a percent, it's, it's like a little over half a percent coverage, how much spaghetti are you going to retain? <laughs> One strand? Not, Maybe two? Well, you, Not a lot. Yeah. So how much carbon dioxide can uh, an element in the atmosphere or a molecule of carbon dioxide, which is less than, than 1% of the atmosphere, how much, how, much, how much heat can less than 1% of the atmosphere reflect back to Earth? Not much. Exactly. So the only way you so can believe in... it's basically just a scare tactic. Mm-hmm. Keep going. To control people. Mm-hmm. We already talked about that theme, too. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So oil ties into global warming, and we've got the same theme of control, which gets back to the Constitution. We're actually going to, we're actually going to talk Constitution. So does the government, <laughs> by the Constitution, 
have the ability to control people in this way? Absolutely not. Because, well, tell me why. Federal government, can they regulate carbon dioxide as a pollutant? No, and, they don't have that power. Okay. Where would they have that power? Also, that's, well, it, I don't think they would at all. But it's okay. also nature and what God is doing. You know, it's, we can't control hardly any of it. You know, 0.6% mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. really going to affect affect us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's the difference between life and death on Earth. Because without carbon dioxide, there are no plants. Without plants, there are no animals. Without plants mm-hmm. and animals, there's no us. <laughs> it's just that simple. Yeah. Right? So here's a question for you in terms of, of intelligent design and God. And this is something that been, sort of hit me about six months ago. I find it fascinating that at a time when the Earth's carbon dioxide was lowering, dangerously low in the 1800s, what came along in the 1800s? What's, what's the, what was the... The big change in the 1800s. Um, what revolutionized human sure. life in the 1800s? I'll tell you what. The Industrial the Revolution. What's that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Okay. So cars. Yeah. So we went from an agrarian society to an industrial society. Factories. You know, steel. Right. And what did they all burn? <laughs> Organic <laughs> fuel. <laughs> Okay, right? So at the time when carbon dioxide was low, we discovered the internal combustion engine. We discovered factory mm-hmm. machines and steam engines. Steam engines burn coal and wood, right? right. You see steam trains? You know, 1800s, Casey Jones? You know, all that kind of stuff? <laughs> Woo-woo! Okay, so what do trains burn? Coal yeah. and, and, and wood in, in, the, in the stove. And what do they do with that? They heat water to create steam. So what does the burning of coal and uh, wood do? It releases. Here we go, folks. Carbon dioxide. Carbon. Exactly. So where does that carbon go? Into the air, right? So at a time when the Earth has a low carbon dioxide, a dangerously low threshold of carbon dioxide, the Industrial Revolution comes along and we start burning a whole bunch of organic fuel, wood, coal, natural gas, oil, you know, in various forms as we refine it into, uh, you know, gasoline, diesel, kerosene, and other products. We are actually replacing carbon dioxide through the Industrial Revolution at the very time we had low carbon dioxide, low carbon, and the plants were suffering. Now, Saudi Arabia is greener. Australia is greener. The Gobi Desert is greener because we are releasing more carbon dioxide. Tell me that isn't God-inspired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? So tell me, so, I, so the question I, is, is it a coincidence that the Industrial Revolution happened at the very time we were low in carbon dioxide and we're actually fulfilling the carbon cycle by burning organic fuels to replace it? What do you think of that theory? Not at all. Yeah, I, I definitely think that God knew exactly what he was doing, what was mm-hmm. going to happen, you know, and, and provided accordingly. So there's something you can talk about in school. I'd be curious to, if you can work that in any of your classes that the Industrial Revolution is part of intelligent design, that the Industrial Revolution was a way to make huge progresses in, in advancement of all of us, all of the products and services we have, that ended up uh, making our lives easier, extending our lifespan, and allowing us to do things we never could do before. Cars, trains, automobiles, mm-hmm. um, ships, you know, uh, plastic, which comes from petroleum. So the discovery of petroleum yeah. and the use of petroleum got us out from, uh, you know, the other great one's the light bulb. You went know, from whale oil to light bulbs. Yeah. So between the light bulb and petroleum, 
and steel revolutionized the world. But what it did was it released a whole bunch of carbon dioxide, which went back into the air, which yeah. made the plants grow. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, all of my classes here, well, I'm in a Christian college, so everybody would agree with me that that it was divine intervention. But, is it, but no one thinks of that. No one ever argues climate change from the perspective of intelligent right. design that this particular time in history, I mean, why didn't the Industrial Revolution happen in the 1600s? Why didn't it happen in the 1800s? I mean, the technology wasn't that different from the 16 to the 1800s, so why did it happen then? Right. I just find this interesting. You know, and and no is, one ever argues climate change from, from an intelligent design perspective in that we are actually completing the carbon cycle, carbon being the basis of life. I talked about this with Judy Mikovits, you know, microbiologist, you know, biochemist, molecular biologist, excuse me, she always corrects me. You know, and we, we define what carbon was and, and how it fits in. And it, isn't it interesting that, that hydrocarbons and carbohydrates are all the same except for oxygen? So the hyd- hydrocarbon that creates petroleum Carbon and hydrogen under the earth, pressure, temperature, organic compounds that are the, you know, making oil, coal, natural gas, things like that, right? You know, is very similar to the carbohydrates that power your body. You know, hydrocarbons are hard carbon. Slow down, Greg. (laughs) Carbon and hydrogen makes a hydrocarbon. That's where petroleum comes from. Carbohydrates, you know, that power, power our bodies are carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. So the only difference between oil and food is oxygen, which we burn in our body. Tell me that isn't mm-hmm. a coincidence. Yeah. Okay. It's crazy how God created everything to work together. Yeah, it's crazy. That we don't think of it first. <laughs> That's the other thing that amazes yeah. me. Yeah. Why did it take me so long to realize that the carbon cycle is actually part of the plan? So releasing carbon is a mm-hmm. good thing. So buy a 1959 El Dorado Cadillac with two doors with those little lights on the fins. You know, when they used to put fins on cars? You know, I love fins. I want a 1959 El Look it up. Okay, that's, that's, that's before your time. <laughs> but look up a 1959 El Dorado Cadillac, okay? It's one of the most wasteful vehicles ever. It's huge. It's got two doors. It's, it's, it's insane. I love it. It's got a big grill. Lots of little things look like bullets on the front of the grill. And it's got these, these big fins in the back like airplane tails, right? And they have these, these two little headlights in each one. I have no idea what they do, but they look so cool. So 1959 El Dorado <laughs> Cadillac, okay? Burn your organic fuel. Because, you, know, I, we, we, you know, look up the CO2 coalition. I'm going to make uh, – Shirley's laughing. I'm going to make her line live right now, see if she wants to get in on this. But uh, CO2 co- coalition, Gregory Wrightstone, friend of mine, friend of the show, uh, talks about this stuff all the time. So if you're looking for carbon dioxide resources, that, that's the place to go. But burning fossil fuels actually replaces we – need, we need like a bumper sticker that says burn CO2 for life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Have any good activist groups on campus that might want to uh, make something like that? There's a poli-sci club and a pre-law club, but that's all I know of. Okay. Well, you know, we'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens. Shirley, you want to get into this? Yeah. What, do you, what do you think of the carbon cycle and, uh, and you know, replacing it all and uh, keeping the plants growing, keeping us going, and it not being a coincidence that the Industrial Revolution happened when it did? Have you had your coffee yet? I mean, are we, just, are we hitting you with this <laughs> out of the blue? Wow, that's a, that's a whole lot in like 10 seconds there. I don't know. I'll just summarize, summarize it. I think we need to plant more stuff. Oh, <laughs> there we go. That sounds we good. We need to help them farmers out. They need to be able to plant more. Yeah. Well, that comes from nitrogen fertilizer, which uh, unfortunately comes from petroleum. 
Uh, I wish they could extract nitrogen directly from the air. I think plants do that through their nodules and the roots, but uh, we need to be able to do more of that. Okay. Uh, Amber, did, I know you probably had a topic. I'm sorry. We got so sidetracked, but I thought it was really interesting to go over <laughs> all the stuff we went over. Unfortunately, the Constitution was written a long time ago, and it'll be around next week. So final be. words, comments, um, anything that's happening, news, you know, let's see if we can get a hold of uh, Grover Norquist because I really want to get him to help write that bill because uh, I think it'd be fascinating to have yeah. him on the show for you to be able to talk to him. Yeah, we got to get him on. Okay. I'll keep working on it. You want to you give it a try? You want to call him up, Americans for Tax Reform, see what happens? Yeah, I could. Okay. Don't take no for an answer. Go for it. All right. Let's do it next week. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Amber. All right. Appreciate it. Here we go. Let's get to Shirley. When one is faced with a crisis, you find your true character. How you react to such an emergency can determine the rest of your life. Two paths present themselves for you to choose. One leads to tragedy. The other leads to becoming a new person. Shirley Wattrell, a survivor of a dangerously abusive relationship, is that new person. She is the author of Heels to Holster. She is a firearms instructor, motivational speaker, women's empowerment advocate, and a reporter for Action Radio. So now, Not only that, here is the DC oh, Project sorry. Women and Guns with Shirley Wattrell. That's how I stepped my own intro. <laughs> I can't believe that. No, I was just thinking of that incredible picture of you and the, the Lincoln Memorial. And you're standing up nice and straight with uh, right across from the Washington Monument there. I mean, it's quite fascinating. That is, a, that is an amazing picture of you in Washington. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. And it was funny. I After our D.C. project um, visit to our legislators, I stayed there a while because my nephew and his wife, they live in Alexandria. And uh-huh. she's really good at photography. And that that was all her. All those, There's some a lot of other pictures. We did a little mini photo shoot while I was there. Oh, post so it to the gun she, group. Yeah, let's see it. Yeah, so as, as I post some more pictures, I have some other pictures. I have some uh, ones with my D.C. Project shirt and stuff like that. But, yeah, she's very creative, very good at that. Um, yeah, she did an excellent job. Interesting, yeah. Well, you know, it would be good, too. I still think you, the D.C. Project should do, a, like, a, a women in guns calendar. Uh, and get some photographers from, you know, no, serious. Now, I keep bumping into DC Project Women on Facebook because, you know, you know, the people you may know section, you know, they're always showing me yeah. like, you know, I, I see a woman yeah. with a gun and I'm like, oh, it's got to be DC Project. Let's see who this is. <laughs> so it's like 10 of them, are, you know, the, the, like 10 of the DC Project chairs around the country are friends of mine, you know, Facebook friends. And, and it, it's fascinating. I ran into someone else that has uh, um, a business uh, where she's an entrepreneur and, and makes these rifle, you know, long range rifle components or something like that. It's fascinating. So women and guns is exploding. I mean, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. It's the best thing to happen to, uh, to guns in a long time, but y'all are gorgeous. Y'all need to make a calendar. I put it on my wall. You know, well, I'll, Project. I'll just put it out there. Cause yeah. they, you know, they might have, we had a, we had a photographer in DC, so he might've got some good shots too as well. Mm-hmm. Now you gotta um, be with guns. But, we, we need you with, uh, you know, pick, pick your gun of choice. Your Barrett oh, 50 uh, or your, yeah. uh, yeah, we yeah. We weren't carrying guns when we were in D.C. Well, not in D.C. Of course not. That's not part of the United States. That's D.C. That's it's its own little bubble. But no, seriously. In fact, if you had photographers in different places that could take pictures of the different um, state chairs, you know, and only need is twelve, and they actually could do different chairs, you know, different years, and and so just uh, I, I think it'd be it'd be great because cause, yeah, you know, women yeah. and guns, you know, we, you know, we guys like calendars with women and guns. I mean, it's it's, it's just a cool thing to do. 
It's up to you, though. Yeah, I, I, that'd I be a good fundraiser. Here, we but, are, yeah, yeah, we are, we are grassroots, so that'd be a, that'd be a good fundraiser. We'll have to mm-hmm. start working on that. Probably not for 2023, but maybe 2024. I don't know if we get enough pictures in by then. But hey, we might. We might. Yeah, if you want to make pictures. a a small percentage contribution to Action Radio to keep us going with our mission of freedom here, I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah. <laughs> after giving you the idea. <laughs> so what's going exactly. on? Exactly. Yeah. So follow-up from, uh, from your visit to Washington. Anybody follow-up? Anybody still talking to you? Any, uh, any results? Any, any revelations from that trip there now that you've had a chance to, to think about it a bit? What do you think? Well, I really haven't had a whole lot of chance to think about it. Um, mm-hmm. I did was able to get, you know, we, it's always good to send out thank you notes, uh, thank you emails, yes. and you know, thank you mm-hmm. actual physical mail. Um, but yeah, my mind's been a little preoccupied lately since uh, I returned from D.C. After after D.C., I went right to Titusville, Florida, for a women uh, women's warrior event. Mm, and then you tell. Yeah, so I I flew in on Thursday, went over to Titusville on Friday, came home on Saturday after the event. So mm. it's held at the police museum in Titusville. And it's just, they had a couple awesome speakers. I didn't get mm-hmm. to hear them all because I was manning the table for a DC project. But they had ex-CIA, ex-Secret Service ladies um, speaking. It's a really great event. Uh, this is their second year doing it. The attendance is not what they anticipated, which I still don't understand why. Hmm. Um, I think it's, it's a great event. The vendors are, are great. The speakers were amazing parts that I heard. So hopefully next year it'll catch on. You know, sometimes it takes a little time to get the momentum going. So hopefully next year they'll get more and more women to attend. There's another problem too. But I did. Um, Travel expense. People don't have the money to go anywhere. So maybe if you can Zoom it or online, you know, project the speakers or things like that, you might get people registering, you know, around the country or around the world who are actually viewing it that can't be there. That might help. Yeah, even the locals, but the the women I did meet were amazing. I got some really women that joined DC Project because, mm-hmm. um, as I'll say it again, DC Project is a nationwide uh, organization of women defending the Second Amendment. And as far as I'm the Florida State Director, so I'm always trying to get women in Florida to join so that we can go to Tallahassee and meet with our legislators just like we do once a year to go to DC. So mm-hmm. I met some really had some really good contacts. Women joining DC Project to help out uh, to meet with our legislators here. So that was a good thing. It's always good when you can, you know, rally to get more women involved in DC Project. Um, but well, yeah, you're so it, much it, more it effective it, than you know, like the Duck Dynasty redneck, you know, gun groups. <laughs> I'll be honest. We, we've talked about this yeah. before, but perception is everything, and the fact that uh, you know you are the perfect uh, counter argument to to the moms. Oh no, we can't go against the moms. The moms don't want people to have guns. You know, of course, they're you know, people are getting killed because of that. Especially these days with all the illegals out there. Did you, speaking of which, I guess a little sideline. I want to get back to the. Uh, the event that you're in, but three of the four looters that were captured uh, recently that uh, Governor DeSantis talked about were illegal aliens. This is a huge problem because they don't care. They're already in our country illegally. You know, so you want to talk about a time for women to to be able to own and carry and effectively use, if if absolutely necessary, guns. What opportunity, you know, that's that's forced on people uh, than an emergency of a hurricane and the after effects with looters who are illegally in the country. I mean, that's a setup for, for a need to, to carry guns. 
Exactly. I mean, I've even, uh, I've been helping a friend of mine who basically lost, her house was flooded, lost just about all her personal possessions. And in that area, which isn't, it's, you know, there's certain areas of towns where we have more influential money than others, but they <laughs> oh, are. Oh, you are diplomatic this morning. Leaders. Huh? I said well, you are yeah. being diplomatic this morning. Yeah, no, that's okay. Well, yeah, and that's another thing I'm going to get into. I'm going to make uh-huh. a comment. I mean, this right here is my personal opinion. It has nothing to do with DC Project. But anyways, in her neighborhood, as people are putting all their personal belongings alongside the road to get picked up to go to, to the dump. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, were found in the backyard looting, and we're apparently getting a lot of people from the East Coast doing that, from what I hear from our law enforcement friends. So it is important for, especially all the time, but especially now, because you do have people that are trying to take advantage of those that are down in their luck and steal from them or even do them more bodily harm than just stealing, taking their possessions, could do them all also bodily harm. So it's very important to be able to protect yourself. And calling 911 and waiting for them to show up isn't always the most effective because well, by the time they blocked. get there... The roads are blocked. There's power lines down. There's there's mud, sand, yeah. dirt in the roadway. I mean, the, the, a lot of these places are impassable still. You know, so you're on your own. it longer to get there as, as well as yeah. crimes are committed in seconds, you know. And by the time they get there, the crime's over. You're either could be raped or whatever, something drastic done to you. But it's very important to be your own first responder. I, I firmly believe that. And it's funny right now because in certain parts of Naples, we have people do have a lot more money than others, but mm-hmm. loss is loss. And some sometimes they try to categorize it. Well, you know, they got money. It doesn't matter. It's a loss. It's, their personal possessions are gone. It hurts just as much. That picture of the family that, you know, from years, hundreds of years ago, 50 years ago, which is gone because it's waterlogged. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Loss is loss. And I think people forget that. They just put a dollar value. They, I guess they think, you know, the hurricane's only going to affect people that, you know, it doesn't affect the, the, the rich people, the, the people with money. But it does. It affects everybody. They've, they've lost their homes. They lost their, their possessions as well. So I think it's important just to realize that. Well, possessions are part of your life. What, you know, people say, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't kill somebody over a TV. Well, wait a minute. You, you spent part of your life working for that TV. Now, I'm not saying you should kill somebody over a TV, but the thing is, it is part of your life. It took time. It took energy. It took money. You know, your possessions, especially if they're family heirlooms or, you know, of huge sentimental value, you know, that's part of your life. And people say, well, it's just a possession. You know, it doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, it does. I mean, why, why do we work? Why do we collect these things? Why do we build our homes? Why do we create the environment we want? You know, why do I want a 1967 Pontiac Firebird? You know, yeah, because it means something. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I understand that I've, one of the administration, someone in our administration, that's all I'll say, is trying mm-hmm. to make it racial. I'm telling you, Hurricane Ian didn't care what color you were, what, what religion you were, how much money you made. It did not matter. Any of that did not matter. It was destructive wherever it went, wherever. And he just hung out there uh, for the longest time, too. Are you so, referring yeah, to the, think, the uh, vice, vice president vice in president. fake, <laughs> you know, Kamala try Harris, who, it, uh, yeah. Try to make it a racial thing or something. I don't, I don't, I, I couldn't even listen. That's ridiculous. 
anyway, um, well, you guys should come on with comment. Yeah, I mean, DC Project should should make a critique of that. That'd be a great way to uh, get some attention and, and make a really good statement, saying we don't understand why the vice. I don't I don't call her vice president. You know, I don't even know, know if she's a citizen. I mean, her parents were illegally in the country. You know, when she was born here. So I don't believe in birthright citizenship. So not only did she lose the election. Uh, she might not have even been eligible in the first place. So you want to start a scandal. There's a real scandal. But putting all aside the fact that she said that we need racial equity, that we should distribute aid based on skin color. I mean, where was she when Martin Luther King was around? Well, probably, you know, very young or not around at all. But the point is, did she miss the civil rights movement? Did she miss the whole idea of equality? Did she miss the segregated South from her own Democrat party? I mean, what kind of an idiot is this? How can anybody say something that stupid? Exactly, and right now we we ha- have a lot of elderly people that need mm-hmm. need help need help cleaning out their prized possessions because yeah. you know they have nowhere to go. That's the big mm-hmm. thing right now. Everybody's they've lost their homes. They have nowhere to go. There's no housing. The housing is too expensive for them to move into. So that's that's a couple things I'll probably be doing today. I'll either go to a, a some place that's uh, providing supplies and sorting through things, or I'll. There's a couple of areas where elderly live that need help cleaning out their houses. So, well, good that for you. Could be the rest That's of my day. Yeah, that'll yeah. keep you busy. Now, here's something we haven't talked about. Go ahead. But uh, I wanted to hit on because we also every time I like to talk about um, how a firearm saves someone's life. Because mm-hmm. I do a posting called Teal for Two A on Tuesday, and I was able to still do it. <laughs> oh, good. Um, so what's yeah, our story so this week? Yeah. It's interesting. There's a story every week. Every... You know, those that say yeah, the guns don't save lives I... have never listened to us or, or you know, uh, Shirley's report or her posting. So folks, you know, share these. Anyway. Yeah, I don't even remember if I got it to Action uh, Radio or not. So no, okay. I'll have to check that out. Next but, week. You're, um, you're, you're preoccupied these days anyway, so you're doing good work. So we can wait. It's okay. Um, but this this. Tuesday, I did post. It's called Teal for Two A. It has, you know, that's a DC project. We're trying to show that firearms do save lives, and this happened in Georgia. And uh, this woman and her two kids. Once again, you know, women are defending themselves and their family. So it was 2 a.m. on a Wednesday morning uh, when I'm not going to tell this guy's name because it's not worthy. Broke yep. into a home in a quiet tree-lined neighborhood in Legrand, Georgia. It's unclear if he had any accomplices, um, but authorities believe the homeowner was awoken by the sound of this guy's talking in the hallway outside her bedroom. The homeowner confronted him. She had a handgun. She fired one round, striking him in the lower abdomen. This is from Sergeant Stuart Smith from the Troop County Sheriff's Office. That's his quote. And this, this quote's from him. You certainly have the right to have a gun in your home, the right to have a gun on your person, the right to have a gun in your car. It's certainly your right to defend yourself in a situation like this. That's from the, the law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds he good. Said, it says, and this, this, is, this article is from Bearing Arms, which is a great, great, if you don't follow them, it's, a, it's very informative. But it's it's sad that the the writer said it's sad that Sergeant Smith even had to say that. But unfortunately, we live in a world where some people want to force you to call 911 and wait for police to arrive instead of you being able to protect yourself and your kids from the intruders in your home. 
Then there are those who think it's somehow unfair or unjustified to use deadly force against someone who's broken into your home, that this mom should have somehow tried to gather her children together and flee her home while there were prowlers roaming the halls. Yeah, see, someone that enters your home illegally has already forfeited their life as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, the only thing I can think of was like a rare accident where they knocked on the wrong door. <laughs> you know, oh, my neighbor, you know, I mean, someone might show up at your house drunk and realize that they're on the wrong street. I mean, the tragedies can, can happen. But for the most part, somebody's in your house, in your house, illegally, I think we can assume they're not there for a good reason. And do you have to wait until someone is injured or killed before you can defend yourself? No. This is your home. The home is the defense. The front door is the defense. The front yard is the defense. Your property line is a defensive line. And when people cross those lines, they already put themselves into a different category, subject to self-defense. I mean, that's how I see it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if, if they're entered your home, they weren't invited. Mm-hmm. Right there is a big clue that you, you, are, you can defend yourself. Um, Let's see. So apparently in this McGrand, Georgia, uh-huh. this is the second self-defense shooting. And oh, a little over a month that a woman had to a woman had to use to defend herself. Did she know um, the person? Uh, were they an illegal alien? Do we get more details on that? See, I would ask every no, my first question is, is this an illegal alien? I'm trying to track all the, yeah. the Biden crimes. That's This is what I'm doing. Pianchi's here, too, so I'm going to make his line live. Um, but that's that's the question, because we know these illegal aliens are, are some of the looting things. You mentioned earlier, too, folks are coming down from the, from the northeast. Are these people specifically coming here from the northeast to commit crimes like the smash and grabs? You know, we see. No, uh, they're coming from the know, east coast. East coast. OK, they're so we'll see from- large crowds of people, you know, going into shopping malls and, and jewelry stores. They're smashing and stealing, you know, convenience stores, things like that. Are these the folks that are coming here? Yeah, well, yeah, probably. I mean, these, these are, I'm just saying that they're people that weren't hit by Ian are coming over here to vandalize to and steal, to yeah. loot. Okay. Yeah, yep. and like Governor DeSantis said, made a comment about looting. You know, we are a Second Amendment state, and you, know, you, you take the consequences when you're looting. You can defend your, your home and your Well, looting looting is 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 uh fully defendable you know with uh what, what do they put it you know life taking you know if someone's looting you know and that's that's because it's such a horrible situation so horrendous that you're taking advantage of people in the worst of conditions you can shoot looters on your property i mean that, they don't have to be attacking you the fact that they're looting i think is enough legal justification and the word's already out pianki what do you know about this looting statutes can you story? the fact yeah, the fact that somebody's looting on your property after an emergency, you know, um, during a declaration of emergency, uh, isn't that grounds for, for uh, what am I trying to think of, uh, deadly force? There we go. So can you use deadly force on looters? I think, yes, you can, simply because looting is so horrendous, so premeditated, so, you know, calculated to take advantage of people in the worst of conditions. I think deadly force is, is justified in looting. I think it's legal, too. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree that when a person enters your home, they've given up all right when they enter illegal. I think that when a person enters your country illegally, they've given up all rights, too. Good point. Does D.C. Project truly have any position on illegals in terms of crime or just being here illegally? Do you guys get into that, or is that beyond your nonprofit Mm -hmm. status? Not not. 
Well, not that I'm aware of. Uh, We do, I mean, we do understand we have, we do have women that their loved ones have been attacked or possibly even killed by illegal. Mm -hmm. So we are, we, you know, we think it, well, I can't say that I'm speaking for DC Project on that, but yeah, but we are aware that people, crimes are committed by illegals and that women and men should be able to defend themselves. Personally, I think, yeah, we need to shut down the border and clean up the people that are here that are illegal, that are committing crimes, need to actually do their time and be sent back or something. Because I see that more and more crimes are are being committed here by illegals. You read about it all the time. So it is an issue and something that, that we need to address, the country needs to address at some point. Hmm. Well, you know, my plan is civil asset yeah, forfeiture and take everything they've got and then send them back. Uh, why should we pay for them to sit in our jails? <laughs> you know, just take everything. And Pianchi, go ahead. And then I got a question for Shirley. Yeah. And, and the stories, we should tell the stories, give them a description mm-hmm. of the criminal and then also the victim. Well, whether they I, I were agree. left-handed, right-handed, whether they were black or white, whether it was people of color. Because we've seen these stories coming out of CNN and so forth and how they are when uh, it's uh, a white police officer doing something somebody black, but just the opposite is, is hush. You have to do your magnifying Sherlock Holmes research. Yeah, it's interesting that when you see the videos of people smashing and grabbing and doing stuff, invariably they're black, which is news. I mean, that's that's part of the description of what's going on. Um Shirley did something a minute ago that I do as well. I remember when there are school shootings. I specifically do not mention the name of the person because one of the main reasons these school shooters do what they do is fame. So if you, you know, name the criminal, you know, and, and skip the victim, we're almost reporting the wrong thing by opposite. You know, you want to name the victim. You want to give them the knowledge. You know, people know about the victim and who they were. I don't care who the criminal was. So lock them up, put them away. I would make them non-persons. I'd, you know, kind of like erase them from the media so that people don't do it for fame. That's true because now you just, that just dawned on I me. Mean, the victims' names are held back for their protection. Mm-hmm. But because well, none of these articles that I've, <laughs> protection from what? <laughs> are, yeah, none of these articles that I've posted that I do I remember the victim's name being on there. Only the criminal. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, I can see that in some situations you don't, as a victim, you don't want your name out there. Granted, I get that. Um, but I think you're, I, I don't like, uh, the more I get into defending the Second Amendment and the crimes that are being committed, the more I don't want to give coverage or attention to the criminal. Let's face it. That's what they are, criminals. You might want to come um, up with a position on that because I agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that fame and, and notoriety is a big reason these people do it. I want to talk something else before Jim gets here. And, and that is, especially in terms of looting and things like that, we talk about, you know, concealed carry and carrying guns, quote, outside the home. But in a looting or an emergency situation, you might be advised to carry your gun inside the home. And we've never really talked about that. But there are times people, why would you carry a gun inside your house? It should be locked up in the ammo here and the magazine there and the gun somewhere else. And, you know, if you got a looter in your yard, you don't have time for all that crap. So do you have any guidelines or a thought or do you instruct on this at all in, in times when you might want to carry your gun inside the home? Or if you have kids, you know, and you have a, a crazy situation going on, riots in the streets, things like that. You want to, you might want to keep your gun simply to keep it away from the kids, but it's because it's right with you. Have you thought about, talked about, do you guys have recommendations and, and how do you instruct about possible carrying your gun inside the home? 
I have not thought about that, but I mean, I, I, you know, if I don't, I don't have kids around, so, you know, certain situations where you, you have to have your guns locked up for their Mm -hmm. safety does not pertain to me. But like you said, if an emergency situation and if you have children, you might as well carry, you know, conceal carry it. Well, you don't even have to conceal carry it in your home. But, you know, just make sure your children can't get a hold of it. But you might need it in a moment's notice in a situation mm-hmm. like that. No yeah, doubt. it would be more secure oh. with you in a secure holster than it would be up in a, you know, upstairs drawer or, you know, the places people carry it, guns. I mean, you just, if you have kids, you obviously, you know, you lock them up and you're careful. But if you carry it on you, is that not locking it up in a way? I would you're think under, so. it's, it's under your control at that point. Hmm. Well, just, exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Being in this type of situation, there's a whole, whole lot of different things to look at. You know, mm-hmm. I've never been in a situation when I was at, at my friend's house, and she says, oh, yeah, last night my neighbor said they had looters because they were in the backyard. If you're picking through, there, now there, there are people that are picking through everybody's personal belongings on the front yard that's getting ready for a trash pickup. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, you know, that's. Whatever. That's well, as long as they if stay in the front and don't cross your property boundary, then right. that's cool. That's okay. Right. And that's what our sheriff's office was posting. They were saying, if you're in the backyard, no, that is not, you're just not looking for stuff. You are a looter and you should be treated as such. But if you're in the front, you know, with going through the piles and piles of personal belongings out there, that's a different story. Yeah. So. Well, even when uh, if D.C. Carey is assisting the people who have suffered from this storm <clears throat> and your group as a group, well, you should have your weapons on. Not only is it uh, showing a message and advertising who you are, but it's also uh, providing a sense of safety. If down there in uh, Florida, even in Louisiana and those low-lying areas, you may encounter some alligators. So what are you going to do? You're going to have to shoot them. If not, they're going to get you, and it does happen. So, no, wear your weapons, and uh, you got a right to – you know, I've seen places where cars have ran into a home, you know, from an accident, and the people in the community run in the house and start looting it. If it knocks down a wall, tears down the doors. So when you live around people who have those type of mentalities, and act savagely like that, then you have to protect yourself for a while. That's exactly right. You need to protect yourself. And you don't know what the situations are going to come up. And right now, people are, at, at this point, it's been what? What is today? Oh, the Lord. What's Friday? <laughs> it's, uh, if you're on the show, it's Friday. Right now, At least I hope so. It's, <laughs> it's the only way I know what day it is by who's reporting, more. you know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's just like... You know, if you, it's just like the rioting that was going on. You hear people say, oh, no word, the store's got insurance. And they, the insurance will pay for it. Well, eventually you're going to pay for it. Uh, the storm damages that insurance companies are liable and have to cover, well, people that live up in the far north uh, west that don't have hurricanes, well, their insurance rates are going to go up because they have to distribute the cost that way, if not, insurance companies will go out of business. I got a different question for you a little bit. I'm, I'm hoping Jim will call us, because uh, usually I like a little crossover between you guys. Um, but FEMA, 
uh, we've been discussing FEMA before. In the the folks that you saw, you know, in, in Florida that you're helping out, uh, between local, state, and federal, who who do you think was doing the best job, and, and who was in the way? Um, well, all I know, I haven't I haven't seen FEMA. I do know my friend had an appointment yesterday. FEMA was going to her house, so they are uh-huh. coming around. I don't know how. I don't remember when she contacted them, so I'm not sure how long it took. What are they doing? Is it money they're awarding or grants or rebuilding things or insurance? Yeah, they have to assess your property. Oh, okay. So Uh, FEMA's distributing money then? Yeah. Yeah, somehow they assess your property, your loss, and everything else. You're You're supposed to take pictures of everything. And I don't know if this is insurance or FEMA. And then you're supposed to have receipts, and she's like, all my receipts are soaking wet. They're just disintegrating because they, you know, they were in a file cabinet, and the file right. cabinets up to the, the two drawers were you know, were useless. They're gone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But I I will say that the locals, the community itself, um, based on on what I've seen and posts from different organizations, they're out there. They're out there, and they're they're working. You know, they're not doing this. They're doing this for free. We're doing whatever it takes, just like going to these elderly people's homes and cleaning out their stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's that part right there. Um, it's tragic that something like this has to bring a community together, but it's good to see that the community's working together. As far as FEMA or insurance yeah. or anything like that, I really haven't seen a whole lot of that physically anyway. You know, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I know. Well, that's what I'm wondering if FEMA's become like a money distri- distribution point as opposed to actually helping with the rescues and helping with various things well, like that. I know they have they have they have certain locations that they're providing um, supplies. There's mm-hmm. um, there, there's a whole lot of those. There's and I, I got to give credit to the all the the Florida Power and Light and uh, Lee County uh, Electric and. That, and everybody that comes from all over the country. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was just amazing when you see it's just people just pouring in with their trucks, you know, trying to help out wherever they can. And they're so – somehow I, I like to see how they organize it. Mm-hmm. Wherever the tragedy comes, somehow they organize all these trucks coming up from all these different states, and they put them in places. And, and I, I don't know. It, it's just amazing how that all comes together. Whatever, well, they've probably been doing whatever concept. Well, yeah, whatever concept. That's a good they, thing. It, it's got to be it's something. Can you imagine trying to organize thousands of vehicles that are going out to provide power for your community? How do you organize that? I can't even imagine. So anyway, I thought that would be. No, that is really good, amazing. Really if you're curious, you, know, you want to call a power company. I mean, it's off topic, obviously, but who cares? You know, it'd be interesting to talk to some of those folks. I might uh, see if I can do that as well. But we're all part of the power grid, yeah. and so it's it's big enough that it, if, if one part of it fails, it doesn't help. But the other thing is, it's nice to have the cooperative. I'm sure these these companies. Florida has an agreement with Georgia, has an agreement with uh, you know uh, Alabama, and, and they all have these different because they're like Gulf Power. Has has like three or four different states. There's Florida Power, Gulf uh, Georgia Power, you know, Alabama Power, things like that. Mississippi Power. They might all be cooperative anyway. In which case, that would make sense. But it's just nice that they all do it. You know. So uh, you know, uh huh. I don't care for FEMA myself. 
I remember the, when there was the, if you have major catastrophes like that, you got the state national guards, you got the Red Cross, yeah, I was gonna you got the too. Boy Scouts of um, Boy Scouts and Explorers of America. You had all those organizations that would come to the ham radio operators would set up communication. They don't need FEMA. You need people, people that's dedicated and sensitive to the lies and the distress and the situation of the people. And it was done very, very well. So we don't need FEMA. You need yeah, government understand. agencies, even in cases like that. Yeah. Well, that's probably why I asked the question, because I don't think we need them when we have good state agencies and local and American Red Cross having to rush from them. And, hey, Catholic charities, you know, stop, stop uh, putting illegals in our, our state and start, to, you know, acting charitable towards Americans. I mean, there's a lot of things that can be done. I don't think we need them either. Shirley? You need uh, college sports teams. You know, the college football team, the college basketball team will come help. You need people. Leave the government out of it. In many cases, it may be a punishment for depending too much on government. Yeah, I got. I I don't know if Jim's on the air before. I oh, almost no, he's not here my yet. time's up. No, you really? keep going. He's, he's not here, tight. so keep going. Stick around for a while. He usually, he usually <laughs> overlaps report. with me. Yeah, well, Dang I, it. you know, yeah. I tried contacting him. We'll, we'll see. Oh, um, well, he's got stuff going on too. So maybe there's there's complications that, uh, you know, he will tell us about it or, or not. But um, as soon as he comes on, I'll let you know. Okay, uh, we were talking about oh oh, I saw this post oh, yesterday this morning, and I looked like it could be Fort Myers. Fort Myers was really badly hit, and they have a flag, the Ukraine flag. Flying, what? asking the government for, for aid. You know, <laughs> oh, I want to see that. Yeah, post. you get it. I, I, that is that is that is a classic. Yeah, because we spent we, we we I got what 100 billion dollars so far has gone to Ukraine or some ridiculous amount for something that we talked about with this with Captain Tom Stewart Wednesday that we, that we came up with the conclusion this should have stayed regional that the Eastern European countries and Russia should have been left alone to settle this themselves. This has nothing to do with us. Nothing to Western Europe, quite frankly, either. Yeah, so you, Ukraine flag, give us aid. There and they're, they're flying the flag, trying to get the, the country, the United States, to send them financial aid. Do you have a picture of that? Do you have a picture? Oh, see if I can find out who posted. I'll see if I can find it. I don't remember oh, who posted brilliant. it. Well, here's something. Here's yeah. something it's all over uh, Are you seeing it? You seen the same picture, Bianchi? It's on PayPal. It's on uh, Wikipedia, oh, it won't donation for the Ukraine. Ukraine aid? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Ukraine aid showing the, the yellow and green and black flag. That's ridiculous. It kind of reminds me when uh, <clears throat> Libya was being attacked. you seen the same thing uh, with them, too, for that country. Well, I just think it's funny that people are posting Ukraine flags and give us aid. Well, for the price of what we paid for Ukraine, we could have easily um, put all the power lines underground from Texas to North Carolina, all on the coastline. Betcha, betcha. Well, yes, people do things for stupid reasons sometimes. Yeah, but uh, I mean, uh, the, the Ukraine's political. It's, it's a Democrat money laundering bank. But what do you think of the idea that Ukraine, the amount of money that was spent on Ukraine could have buried all of our power lines before Ian you know, and most of these people would still have power now. You're right. Yeah. Political, yeah. political, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Shirley? Yeah, that between that and the the number of firearms we we sent over there and yet over here you're trying to take our guns away. They're trying the government's trying to take our guns away it's, it's right now. It's, it's, Is anybody it's, sending guns to, to uh, the hurricane oh, region? Is anybody sending guns to the that? hurricane region? Guns for peace, you know, guns for property security. Is anybody sending guns? If we're sending guns to EGU, why don't we send guns there? You know, I mean, I had, I had a gun stamp bill, actually, which is like food stamps. But here's another question, too. Katrina, and this is something Pianchi's talked about, too. In Katrina, they were seizing guns because that's a liberal state. But in Florida, no one's talking about seizing guns. I haven't heard one word about it. So you got the worst no, hurricane, no. You know, one of the worst hurricanes we've ever had, and yet not one seizure of firearms to, quote, you know, keep people safe and protect them because it does just the opposite. It encourages looters. So, again, conspicuous yeah. by its absence is the fact that there are no gun seizures during Hurricane Ian. That's something you should talk about, I think, with DC projects. What do you think? Well, yeah, and the fact that I think it has a lot to do with, with our governor. You know, mm-hmm. He stands I agree. for the Second Amendment. He, mm-hmm. You know, you're going to defend your property, defend your home. Um, there's so many sheriffs that are stepping out and, and being vocal about Lee County. You know, defending, let, the, let the people defend their property. Don't be a looter. You're going to pay the price. So they're, they're putting it out there, and I, I think that they, they need to do that. I think that's a very important point, point to all the people that live in the community. They need mm-hmm. to know where their sheriff stands. They need to know where their, their governor stands. Uh, I met Governor or Congressman Stubbe mm-hmm. in D.C. He's a good guy. He took time and he sat sat with yeah. us. Uh-huh. Is he is he your is he your in your district? No, Matt Gates is my district. Oh, he's I'm Sarasota. up here in Milton. Yeah, yeah. But he would be a yeah, great person on the show. I've I've heard him on the news before several times. He's one of the the, the best of I think the Florida representatives. So if you ever uh, if you can maintain contact, if you want to bring him on the show, because uh, he's a strong Second Amendment supporter, that would be fabulous. Oh, he, he definitely is. And I just this morning found a video that they mm-hmm. posted. He's out there cutting down trees. I mean, he's getting his hands <laughs> dirty, cleaning, helping to clean up his community. And I like that. That's a, that's a, and I believe if, I'm pretty sure he was in the military. I'm trying to remember yeah, his I think background. So. Yeah. I he's got a beard was, now, maybe, but he was, was military. He yeah. uh, he no, that was Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis was JAG officer. Mm-hmm. DeSantis was, yeah, but I think Stubby was, he could have been. I mean, a lot of politicians start off as lawyers, so, and it makes sense that the military will train you to be a lawyer. You give so many years of of service as a lawyer to the military, and I guess it's Judge Adjutant General is what JAG stands for. Um, And so you do that, and uh, they'll pay you a law degree. It's a great way to get a law degree. Yeah, because I, uh, hold on a second. Let's see. Let me do a little, let me do a quick research here. Because there's another congressman too, Brian, and I've forgotten his last name. Matt. Uh, was that Brian who? No, no. Who's, the, who's the other congressman, black congressman in Florida that was out there? He's Byron on Fox News all the time. Byron, there we go. Byron that's Donald. it. Yeah, Byron. Yeah. yeah, not Brian. Byron. He's, my, he's out there with the, my, the sweatshirt. And, oh, he's your congressman? Yeah. 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 Let's get him on. He's, he's great. I've heard him on the news several times too. He'd be a great person to have on the show. Yes, he was, Jag. Doobie was. Was Jag Jag okay. Corps officer? Yeah, okay. he was in the Airborne Infantry. Uh, graduated from University of Florida, mm-hmm. and he was in Operation Iraq Freedom. 
Yeah. So, yeah, but that was pretty cool. Yeah, and, you know, Byron Donald, uh, representative, he, he's out there. He's out there helping yep. and his, I forget, I think his whole office, whatever they're called, were out there working. I saw pictures oh, of the, that. His staff, his aides. Yeah. <laughs> Legislative yeah. aides, administrative uh, aides, yeah. all aides. That's what they call them. Yeah, yeah. Well, both so, those folks would be, would be great to have on. And, and just because, the, you know, the, not just Second Amendment stands, but we can talk about the, the, the hurricane. I almost said earthquake. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, but uh, another yeah. another great congresswoman is Kat Kammer. Can't say enough about her. I did meet her briefly. I'm not familiar. I didn't get. Huh? I'm not familiar. What How do you spell that? her name? This is a new person. Who is this? Kat. K a t c a m m a c k. She's Central Florida area. Okay. Um, but yeah, follow her. She's she will. She tells it like it is. She'll be coming out from a vote at 2 o'clock in the morning, be walking out of the Capitol and mm-hmm. telling you what's going on. So oh, I she'll love be it. telling you that Pelosi just gave us a 1,000-page bill. We have to vote on it tomorrow, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning. She, she, she puts it out there. And, and she well, just, we have a bill to deal with that. We have a mandatory 30-day comment period for any budget bill over $100 million, which would be most of them. Um, and so no, if you want to get, if you want to get that bill to her, if you, if you're still talking or have contact with their, her legislative folks, that might be something she might want to sponsor. If she's particularly peeved as, as they should be, that they get a bill, a thousand page bill, they should be, first of all, required to read it. It should, they should be required to listen to it being read out loud in the, in the chamber. Otherwise they can't vote on it. I mean, those, those are the laws, I would, but those are internal rules, but uh, a mandatory 30 day comment period would be great for us. And it'd be great for them that actually hear what's in the bill. So that might be a great bill to get to her. Exactly. And what was the last bill? Um, people just have, and I, I didn't know this. I didn't know this at the time. But you need mm-hmm. the headline bills that, that, that come across the media, like um, uh, Save Women or something like that. But buried <laughs> in there has nothing to do with helping women to defend themselves, you know. Yes, abortion it, funding it, or it something could, like that. It could be giving money to Ukraine is in there. Yeah. Something as absurd as that is buried in there. So then, mm-hmm. then certain representatives, they get, um, they get bad mouth because why didn't you vote yes to this? And it was like a positive titled bill. Well, because down in there, buried in there, they want us to give thousands of dollars to Ukraine. And has nothing yep. to do with saving America, mm-hmm. and people don't understand that because all you get is the headlines in the media, right? Why? Mm-hmm. Because the media wants you to, you know, see what they see what they want you. They want you to see what they want you to know. That makes sense. I think it does. No, it makes perfect <laughs> sense. Yeah. Well, see now, see now you're learning how Washington works. So one of the ploys is you have a bill title that has nothing to do with the bill, like the Affordable Care Act or the Inflation Reduction Act. So they basically yeah, lie the, about the. Which one do you got? The voters' rights bill. The voters' rights, 1965 okay. voters' rights bill. They nothing to do about voting. Or the Voter Suppression Act or something like that. You know, or the Voter uh, you know, Access Bill, which is really a voter suppression, or it's a legal alien fraud bill. So all these things have, have different names. You know, but uh, and I'm I'm gonna I'm opening up a, a Facebook window here. Hopefully I don't hit the wrong button and cancel the show. Um, but um, But those things are... Fascinating. And you just pointed out a very important Washington tactic, and that is you, these, these omnibus bills, as they call them, bills have a, they're not required to limit the subject. Now, I thought they were. There was a bill to actually limit bills to one subject. In fact, that would be a good thing for DC Project to insist upon. 
uh, that you have these single subject bills. All our bills, you notice our bills are single subject. We don't distract. We don't put a bunch of stuff in that people don't need, you know, because for the purpose of, of uh, hiding things. And that's called a poison pill. And so they have the, when they, if you hear about the a poison pill provision, that is something that was put in specifically to either kill a bill when something is good that they don't want or to sneak something in that they want that they don't want you to know about. So that is, that is very much Washington. I never heard of a poison pill. I, don't, I didn't, never you heard have of now. <laughs> that's what it is. So a poison pill is something put into legislation to kill it that's not related to the, the, uh, the bill itself or, you know, these provisions that, again, you say, you know, aid for Ukraine uh, in a bill that's, uh, you know, it's like farm regulation. Well, what's that doing in there? Well, they can do that because they're not restricted in the subjects. Okay, I've given the Financial Accountability and Public Disclosure Act of 2019. That's the one that has the, the mandatory 30-day comment period that is now in your Facebook Messenger. So you can then send that to, if you choose, uh, Kat Camel. How do you pronounce your name? Kamek. There we go. All right. And no Jim. He didn't tell me. Something must have come up. He's a busy guy. Are you guys working with Florida Carry at all uh, in, in terms of the gun bills? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was you. talking and my phone was on mute and I was like, what? Why isn't why, why is he hearing me? <laughs> I, I do that periodically oh. too. Yeah. People are like, Greg, where are you? I, I know you're there. It's like, oh, no, I've muted myself and I'm talking away. I don't know. Yeah, so first of all, it was Kat Kamak, C-A-M-M-A-C-K. Right. And am I working with Florida Care on any bills? No, we are going to be working together on a fundraiser okay. uh, at some point in time. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're, as far as DC Project, we do back certain bills, but we have not participated in the writing of anything that I know of. Uh, like, we won't, we're, we're just a a new group, six years, and we're just getting the momentum going right now. Just mm-hmm. recently adding state director, so it's a it's a growing group. Um, yeah, I know the feeling. We're a growing group I too. Think you it, know, we're, we're coming on our sixth year. It, yeah, I think that what makes us different than the other um, pro Second Amendment groups is that we are working to to not only are we all women. Mm-hmm. But we're working to get a established relationship with with our legislators, uh, so they know us, so they know our stories, our personal stories. We have a lot of women out there with personal stories of how a firearm saved their life. So I think that that's a, a plus for us, um, as well as our our founder is a good organizer. She's got a great board standing behind her. So. It's always good when no, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's, I think that's really significant. And we've got a few minutes uh, before Derek gets here. So if you can hang out till the bottom of the hour, that'd be great. But let's talk about that. Different strategies that a woman's gun group would do that it maybe a, a predominantly men's gun group would not do. And the fact that you, you do include these personal stories. So I don't know if you've heard of lobbying from, say, Gun Owners of America or the NRA or the Second Amendment Foundation. Do they do the things that you did? Do, do they not have personal relationships? I mean, I like to have, if I, if I were a, a lobbyist, which, you know, I mean, I hope to build relationships with a bunch of different legislators. I've tried to reestablish with, with Matt Gates so he'll come on the show again uh, when he used to be on, you know, when I was on the other radio station. But uh, that is so critically important. That's like the number one rule of, of influencing legislators is that you actually know them and you talk to them and you tell your stories. That's fascinating. The yeah, other groups I, are saying they're not doing it. The other groups aren't doing it, or you guys do it better, or you just you, you make it a priority. Because this is really interesting. I, I think we make it a priority. I don't know if other groups do it, 
I know other groups show up when, you know, the anti-gunners, those MDAs show up. And Mm -hmm. we've been told this by the representatives we were there last month that after a mass killing, they will show up and just, you know, scream and holler in your ear, how can you do this? How come, you know, why aren't we taking guns away and do that? But they Mm -hmm. never hear during that time they get beaten down by those anti-Second Amendment, anti-gun groups. Instead, and that's that's the time when we asked him, one of our ladies in our group asked, I forget which rep we were at, asked Mm -hmm. him if, um, so would it be important for you to see us during that time? And he's like, yes, yes. Because, you know, when someone's, you know, in your face, wanting to take the guns away, to know that there's groups in amendments. So, you know, it's important for us to have our firearms. They need to see them at that time because, you know, you can only, because all you have these people hollering and screaming at you want to take your guns away. They need to know that we're backing them at that time. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That's, and, critical. Uh, That's absolutely critical because, because most people complain to legislators. They don't compliment them. They don't support them when they do the right thing. It is almost more important to support exactly. them when they do the right thing. Yeah. And they, they need to know that at that, those critical times that there's, people back there supporting them because now they're mm-hmm. getting hit in the face by, you know, why aren't you taking guns away? And then here you got, you want to know that people are standing behind you. And I think also for some reason it appears that people that are pro second amendment are, are just like, I don't, I don't know. Some of them might think that, that they can never take away their second amendment rights, but they can, they can chip away at them. Or maybe we're not as vocal. I think that's it, too. We're not as vocal. When when we get, you know, we don't get in people's face, holler, and scream. We are, we're mm-hmm. visible. But, but you don't have to. we're not antagonistic. No. Yeah. Know, don't... We, we don't believe in that. We're, gun owners, are, I think the majority of us, are quiet, peaceful people that want to, you know, protect our families and, and our friends and our communities. So we're not out there hollering and screaming in other people's faces. And sometimes that gets, you know, more attention. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's, I, do you know, see how critical that is from a psychological point of view? The fact that the people that own the guns are the common cool ones and the people that don't own the guns are the crazy people. That is very significant psychologically. That's a huge lobbying point in your favor. Exactly. And people, you know, so people see me wearing a shirt that has an AR on it. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And they're afraid of me because I have a shirt that has a rifle on it. You know? mm-hmm. Or some people, they, you put a gun in front of them. You lay it down on the table, an empty firearm, and they're, like, scared to death of they're, they're, like, think I'm a killer. Why am I a killer? What makes you say I'm a killer? Well, you have a gun. This guy have a gun doesn't make me a killer. That well, gun doesn't kill anybody. It's the person behind it that kills. Yeah, yeah. And see, and that's what the media and yeah. they're trying, and certain legislators are trying to do is pin all the wrongdoings on an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. They want all the attention going to the firearm, not yeah. to the person behind it. That gun will not hurt a soul until you put a person behind it. And that person behind it, that mentally ill person, that criminal, that killer, that's the person that the attention needs to go to. That's what we need to deal with. The firearm's not doing anything wrong. 
It does nothing unless there's a person behind it doing bad. That's you know why. Uh, Go ahead, Bianca. That's why we need point. to wear. That's why we need to wear those weapons, whereas they become societal norms, commonplace, just like tires on a car. If you see a car without any wheels on, then you look at it strangely. As long as you see the wheels on it, it's just a common thing. You see airplanes flying in the sky, people walking with guns on their hip, uh, rescue and help groups coming out during a time of disaster, where are your guns? Then you can see people wearing guns that's doing things to help preserve and help people in need. Yeah, rescuers should be wearing guns. You know, and that's another way to rescue. I'm, I'm with Pianchi. I think that uh, the, 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 the virtues and the value of open carry in terms of normalizing the sight of guns far exceeds any danger you might face from someone stealing your gun. I mean, that's always possible, but it's rare. But the benefits of a visual, uh, especially women openly carrying guns, especially, you know, moms with a kid in a stroller, you know, carrying a gun, uh, that's invaluable in terms of, first of all, it's good for them. Uh, because they're more secure, but secondly, in terms of uh, of psychology, of, of public perception, that's huge. It, it makes a, an, an amazing difference. So this is a good it, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And it takes yeah. the, the people that are afraid of, of guns and are the, are the ones that want to take our guns need to understand that mm-hmm. stop listening to the media, stop, un, stop putting the blame on us, in an inanimate object and mm-hmm. start trying to figure out why our society has so many people that want to do harm to others. What, what happened mentally, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a decline of, Decli- of moral morals and morale <laughs> and, and a decline of, of the character of the nation. Yeah. See, I got to tell you something, just a, you know, a personal uh, comment here. You're getting better at this. Uh, I've been listening. You remember when you first started, <laughs> no, I'm serious reporting on the show. And just uh, especially since Washington and your ability to, uh, you know, to frame an argument and, and make complete points and go through this, um, you, you keep getting better. And so keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. And I think you're going to be you know, an ever increasing fabulous spokesperson for D.C. Project Guns and the Second Amendment in general. So, uh, yeah. Well, you. Do a nice job. You're welcome. Yeah. So I think I'll do now before Derek gets here, take a little break, play our, our announcements and our, our benefits for uh, folks with our discount codes. Uh, and then um, I don't know if you can stick around, Shirley, if you want to hang out for, for Derek's part or if you have to go. But this would be a good time to uh, sort of like a midpoint in the show here to uh, play some stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to get going. So I'll just wrap okay. it up by saying, oh, I, I did want to make a point also. Um, yes. That October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. So um, I do have a book called Heels to Holster, which tells my story of survive, becoming, going from victim to survivor and how the Second Amendment, practicing the Second Amendment saved my life and gave me a life again. It's called Heels to Holster. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, let's see. If you're interested in joining the Women of D.C. Project and defending our Second Amendment, it doesn't matter what state you live in, you can go to dcproject.info and sign up to be a delegate to make a donation. You don't have to be just a woman to make a donation either, just putting it out there. (laughs) (laughs) Or um, if you have any questions or want to receive our email, you can do that all at our website, dcproject.info. And you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram as well. 
And if you need to contact me directly, you can email me at Shirley, S-H-I-R-L-E-Y-W-A-T-R-A-L at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And other than that, that's my report for Action Radio. Stay safe, everybody, and have a great week. Yeah. Yeah, I want you to know do before now. you leave. All right, go ahead. You first, and then I got a quick thing first. You may think of a motto. You may think of a motto, women's uh, protecting their natural right of self-defense through the Second Amendment. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, The phrase women empowerment zone came to mind. Don't ask me where that came from, but you never know. Um, But the other thing is, Shirley, I want to do an hour on your book. Uh, a separate hour from the show here, but just let's talk about that book. Let's, 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 uh, you know, give you a podcast that, that, that you can share and, and, um, you know, see how you're feeling now. And then you can listen to it, you know, 10 years from now and go, oh, that's how I felt. And this is where you are now. But uh, I would like to do, you know, if you, anytime you have an hour, you know, that we're on the air or I'll rearrange the show a little bit. Let's talk about that book. Let's talk about your experiences. If you want to do well, that. Okay. Um, it, uh, let me yeah. see. Next Friday's the second, next Friday, Jim's not on, right? Uh, I'm not sure. He wasn't on this Friday. <laughs> I wish he told us. <laughs> we could have done it on this Friday. But let's talk to Jim. Yeah. It's, but it's, I, I think so it's, it's his second Friday, and he, he's not on the air. Maybe um, this is, is, is this domestic second Friday? violence award. Huh? Is this his second Friday? Okay. I don't know. Maybe this, this is his second Friday. Friday. This is the first Friday. Okay. So then, well, yeah, if he's off next week, let's do it next week. We'll just take the hour if you want to do that. That would be great. Yeah, since it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I think that would be a good time to do that. Okay. I'll put it down. Front bring of the somebody, bring some members on to, to talk too. Uh, I'll work on that too. Yeah, I think quite honestly, uh, because surely it's your book, I would rather, you know, if you want to bring folks on, that's okay. But I think I'd rather that particular hour really focus on your book and you and your experiences and how all this came about and where you are now. Uh, not to contradict, you know, Piaki, because you're always welcome to bring guests on, and you do. And they, t- they end up staying long past you. <laughs> Let's say for the show. <laughs> Well, maybe I can also next the following Fridays this October I'll just kind of focus on domestic violence awareness and see if I can get some other survivors that might want to share their stories and just plan on doing the hour on the book next week. Then that sounds good. All good plans. Okay, take care. Have have fun, and uh, let's see if we can. uh, I'll I'll squeak in like one or two quick comments or or, or promotions here before Derek gets here because he could call any second, which he probably will. Thank you, Shirley. Okay. Bye. Bye now. Bye-bye. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. 
Stand Your Ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. No, oh, I've been waiting to talk to you. <laughs> this is an interesting week. I think we have the jobs report coming out in a little bit. Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia is, right. you know, taking back two uh, million barrels of oil per day, and and Brandon is dumping our emergency supply at one million barrels a day. So we're still down one million barrels a day. Where should we begin? This is such a a, a target rich economic environment at this particular time because everything's going wrong. It's fascinating. Yeah, I it's, mean, uh, it's all self-inflicted. We got, we got uh, yeah. the much the much-awaited CPI data next week. Um, okay, and I mean, obviously, we're we're kind of at a turning roads where, um, you know, uh, I think inflation is on a downtrend from what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so this report will uh, will either uh, solidify that or say, hey, we got more pain to come. You know, so. Well, given that inflation is based on government borrowing and printing of money, have they slowed down the borrowing at all? And how long does it take to sort of absorb that that borrowing into the economy? You know, I, I remember the last one was the hyperinflation act, as I call it. I don't think they've had anything since. I don't think there's a, a major, you know, infrastructure stupid bill, a green bill, an energy bill. You know, they've got a bunch of uh, Ukraine stuff, which should go to Florida. Um, there's a, but I don't think there's a major. Hasn't been for for a few months now, right? One of their stupid yeah, tri- uh, multi-trillion I mean, dollar bills. Yeah. Yeah, they've 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 slowed the printing of money. That's happened, right? Okay. Um, you know, so they've gotten to a point that um, you know they they've also raising of the uh, um, you know Fed funds rate implies that banks have to hold more money because of cash positions. So mm-hmm. um, they're already seeing an influx. Um, you know, I think the the estimate was five trillion dollars. Now that could be a mix of uh, institutions holding money and and per, preparing for for purchasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be banks holding money. Um, you know, preparing for potential defaults on loans. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that that could be happening when they say there's a surplus of cash. But ideally, um, you know, the Fed when they slow the printing of money, um, there's less money in the public, which means you know that's the tightening of the money supply. Um, and so and now it seems like it's being uh, it's taking hold because. The consumer confidence reports over the last three months have been falling, and what that basically means is that inflation is starting to set in. People are saying, hey, this stuff is expensive. I need to quit buying it. 
Um, right. You know, which means that that now now we're going to start to see deflation if all of that holds true. Well, deflation of the inflation or actual deflation below zero inflation. De- de- deflation of the inflation. <laughs> yeah. So that's what, you know me. I got to make these points really clear. So people think of deflation yeah. as a bad word. And I looked it up one day, and all these things were saying, well, you can't have deflation because when people see prices drop, you know, they'll they won't buy anything because they'll wait for the prices to drop further. I mean, that's irrational. That's insane. That goes against every law of supply and demand. When prices drop, people buy more of it if they if that's something that they want. So that doesn't hold any water. But they, yeah. the biggest the biggest enemy in their of, of big government, the Fed and the banks, and therefore our greatest friend to transfer wealth back to the people is deflation. You know, I've been on the site deflation.com. Yeah. I even sent you some articles on that. Deflation is what we need. We need deflation below zero. We need actual deflation of the currency yeah. at probably negative two to negative five. I would say negative five percent to counter the inflation. So, so go ahead. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, I think that's what that's what Trump's goal was, was to say, um, you know, back when he was in the presidency. And I and I really disagree with this. Um, You know, he was like, hey, let's let's run our bonds into negative numbers, Um, you know, and and if you do that, it makes our bonds kind of worthless. Nobody's going to want to buy it, which means we're not going to really have any debt, but we're also going to have a currency problem. Right. What would happen if if we did that is our currency would would become less valuable, meaning that another currency in the world would have an opportunity to kind of step up and say, you know, hey, we can be a better reserve currency, um, you know, and uh, I think that would be a bad business proposition for the U.S. And um, I say this all the time. I mean, there's only uh, ten countries that sell bonds in positive yields, double A rated or better. Mm-hmm. There's only 10, right? Uh, once you go That's under the 10, I mean, yeah, a, <laughs> a rated is still not bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, only 10 countries out of 190 that sell really good bonds. I mean, that's not a really good ratio, right? Um, you know, so so that being said, um, you know, we have one of the strongest bonds, which means our, our bonds and our currency is always in high demand. And I think if you if you did run our run our uh, you know, our bonds into negative numbers, you know, to try to, to help alleviate some of that, I think it would do more damage uh, than good, personally. That's a stupid idea. Yeah, I, th- I agree with you, absolutely. I hadn't really heard of that, but that seems stupid to me. If I wanted to increase the currency, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, would, was... I would cut back on printing, okay? I would cut back on, on borrowing completely. I mean, I would go to, in fact, I, we have a constitutional amendment proposed that Congress not have the power to borrow money anymore. Uh, and then what you right. do is, with the, with the current spending, what you can do with all the, whatever's left that hasn't been spent, of these multi-trillion dollar, you know, five to whatever, eight trillion dollars worth of COVID spending and, and infrastructure and energy and green, all that kind of stuff, whatever hasn't been spent, stop. Stop saying that right now. Mm-hmm. Put that money back in the treasury. Cancel that spending. And canceling that spending, right. you cancel the, the need to issue uh, bond debt to cover that spending. That would help inflation too, incredibly. So if Trump really wanted to do something, he would uh, have a budget that, uh, and work with Congress. And if it means shutting down the government, it means shutting down the government. But you've got to cancel those trillion dollars of spending if you really want to deal with inflation, I think. Right. No, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's uh, getting government spending under control would, should be a, an extreme high priority, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's why I say, I mean, I, I would advocate removing the power of Congress to borrow money because they are so addicted to spending. They're like crackheads when it comes to money. Uh, they cannot stop <laughs> themselves. 
They really are. They're, they're crackhead yeah. spenders. I might yeah. even uh, I might even start using that. I just thought of it. Um, but here's a question too. That, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have my moments. Yeah, but the question is. If I think of, of, of contracting the money supply um, as as not printing, and uh, like you said, also as the the Fed withholding, you know, with a high discount rate, so the money's not in circulation. So how, which is, what are the different effects of the velocity of money? In other words, money being spent because there is cash out there, uh, as opposed to money being held um, by these huge institutions and and by the Fed and the discount rate for the banks and things like that. So is it the physical printing of money, the actual money supply uh, that has the biggest effect or is is withholding money from being circulated, you know, through commerce, just as valid a way to restrict the money supply if it's being held by the largest institutions, the banks, you know, and the high interest rates and things like that. Where, where does that come down? I'm, I'm going to say that it's probably a mix of both. Okay. Um, you know, and the, and, the, and the reason being is, I mean, money, money in the banks, um, you know, people are getting paid for it now with the Fed funds rate up. You know, the mm-hmm. next thing is, is in a, in a market decline, um, you know, the institutional investors are looking for a, a place to, you know, get the best bang for their bucks. So, I mean, I could mm-hmm. crack open some of these mutual funds and I, I can show you like large cash positions. Um, and that means they're, they're, they're waiting to cycle. You know what I mean? They're waiting to, to add investments. I don't know when they're going to do this. Now you can, you can open the prospectus and you could probably call them and ask them what their, what their plan is. And they'll give mm-hmm. you a little bit, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because they have to by law, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not saying they're doing anything mischievous. That's what I would do is I, if I was a super investor. You know, I mean, like I would be, you know, watching the statistics and saying, hey, when when is the best time to inject this money to get the best return? Um, you know, so I, I'm going to say that it's probably a mix of it all. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 fact that people make more money. Um, you know, I'll tell you in my business. I mean, everybody's you know I I advertise what the rates are, and everybody mm-hmm. wants to go to these safe haven positions because the market's kind of kind of turmoil uh, in, in turmoil, um, you know, which does create a buying opportunity for those that don't yeah, have fear. I mean. But you know, buy low, sell high. Right. Do you have that in your window? Do you have buy low, sell high in your window? I mean, I would. <laughs> yeah, you know, which, yeah, when, when the, uh, there's a, there's a saying uh, for the VIX, it's uh, when the VIX is low, let it go. When the VIX is high, let it fly. Um, and what that basically the means, the VIX is, a, the VIX is the volatility index. And what that oh, is, okay. is a measure of, you know, you know, uh, buys and sells in the market, right? If right. the if there's a sell off, the VIX is going to go high, right? If there is a if there's not really selling and more buying, the VIX is going to go low, right? Mm-hmm. So you can watch the VIX every day and get a pretty good thermometer on what the market's going to do. Um, mm-hmm. And really, I kind of watch it when we're in these real choppy times. Any other time, I'm kind of like, man, you know, I mean, it's not a big <laughs> deal, but. Uh, you know, but right now, I mean, I, I crack open, you know, uh, Yahoo Finance and I look at the VIX and I'm like, okay, what kind of damage are we going to see today? <laughs> you know, oh, boy. So, yeah. um, you know, when the VIX is high, let it fly basically means, hey, let your money go into these products because, you know, the VIX is high. They're they're on discount, right? When the yep. VIX is low, that means that, uh, you know, it's it's time to go, you know, go ahead and sell off things that you maybe want to capture profits with. So, huh. um, you know, when it comes to these big institutional mutual funds, uh, they do the same thing. Their goal, they make more money off of your money, right? So they want to raise that capital, um, you know, because they get paid more. Yeah. That applies. Yeah, that's something that we should talk about. To, oh, Pianki, go ahead. To, uh, that was me. I don't oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. That uh, 
that applies to, to you know, your fidelities and vanguards as well. You know, I mean, everybody's like, oh, you know, I mean, it's free or it's cheap. And, no, man. I mean, the more money they can make off of their mutual funds and ETFs, they get paid, right? The, right. the faster they grow. Um, you know, are they less expensive than some other funds? Yeah, sure. That's great. That doesn't mean that they're going to outperform them. Yeah, it's interesting. The point I was thinking of is that the, the large institutional investors really make a lot of money off the fear of the public because the public is, is selling, you know, when they see the market down. Of course, the big investors, they have the money to buy at that time. So really, it's transferring wealth from the, the, the individual investors to these big investors in a way. I mean, it kind of is. But, uh, you know, I mean, how I describe market pullbacks is the uh, is the transfer of wealth from inpatient people to patient people. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's true that's, that's that's exactly what it is you know i mean like yeah. everybody doesn't they they should understand because i do educate them on this but in order for you to sell stock there has to be a buyer right it, uh-huh. it's a it's a trading transaction right that's why they're mm-hmm. called trades right yep. you know i mean so for take coca-cola for example i mean there's only so many shares out there if somebody wants to sell a <laughs> hundred thousand shares uh warren buffett's sitting there doing the fly hands waiting to pick up those hundred thousand shares. I promise yep. you, you know, oh, yeah. he, he, yeah. Anytime there's, there's any opportunity for stocks that are his favorites, he's going to go scoop them up. Right. Um, especially when they're on discount, you know what I mean? Because he does not fear, um, you know, market declines. Yeah. You make money on the way up and on the way down. It's fascinating. We should get to the the report here before we get too much into this. And then I want to get to uh, the impact of oil, uh, what, what people are saying in the market. I'm curious because it's this is this is all self-inflicted. This is so stupid. And of course, it gets to my philosophy that the left uh, it's not that they hate oil. They just hate American oil, <laughs> which is something I want to talk about, too. Anyway, let's get to, let's get the numbers and see what's going on. All right. OK. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park of Ever Jones bringing you the daily financial market report. Markets sold off late in the day with the S&P 500 closing lower by 1%. The S&P 500 is still up over 4% from the week as equity markets began the week with a strong rally on the back of per- perhaps oversold conditions. Markets may be moving sideways ahead of the big data release tomorrow uh, in the weeks, including the non-farm jobs report, the CPI Inflation next week and ongoing third quarter earnings reports start in uh, or, or start early next Friday. Meanwhile, Treasury yields in the U.S. dollar index both move higher today, adding to downward pressure on the stocks. The 10-year Treasury yield climbed 0.05 to 3.81 levels, uh, still below the recent intraday high around 4%. Crude oil prices also continue to climb today with WT back around WTI back around $89 a barrel, nearly up 15% from recent lows. This comes after yesterday's news that OPEC Plus is continuing to output cut 2 million bar- barrels per day uh, to support falling oil prices. Page 2. <laughs> there he goes. We finally got it. But you got to say it like Paul Harvey. <laughs> and now, page 2. Yeah. I don't know that I'm that good, but you know what? Uh, lower. Hold on, hold on, Pecky. Let's let's get the whole report in here, and then we'll get to questions. US, Go ahead, Derek. U.S. equities closed lower with the Dow Jones down 347 points, or 1.15 percent, to 29,927. Nasdaq closed down 75 points, or 0.68, to 11,073. And the S&P 500 closed down 39 points, or 0.01 percent. Um, and somebody got that wrong. It's 1.02%, excuse me, uh, to 37.45. Again, in the bond market, 10-year Treasury yield was at 3.81. 
in the commodity markets, markets, the price of crude oil was up a dollar twenty-six or one point four four percent to eighty-nine oh two, and the spot price of gold was up a dollar eighty or point oh one to seventeen twenty-two sixty. This is Derek Park of Ever Jones, member SIPC. You can get me at eight five zero nine nine five zero zero eight two. Hmm. Piaki. Yeah, what I was going to say that looking at the some past figures on oil, it looked like in 1990 and 2000, our import oil import our oil import amount was about 51 billion. In 2020, under Trump, it has sunk down to 16 billion. Now mm-hmm. in 2022, 365 billion and projected to be over a trillion dollars in 2026. I thought you were talking about barrels of oil, but you're talking about money. Okay, so that makes more sense. So, yeah, what, Derek, we're, what we it's costing us three hundred. It's costing us three hundred and sixty-five billion right. for imported oil under Joe Biden, compared to sixteen billion under Donald Trump. And we didn't even need that because we were exporting oil. So was that earlier in his term? It was sixteen billion, or was that the the total amount? That he spent during his administration for, no, for oil. No, this is the year twenty. This is the year twenty twenty. Okay, so we're he still had lowered oil. it from fifty one. He right. had lowered it from fifty one billion uh, in nineteen ninety and in nineteen. I'm sorry, in two thousand it was fifty one billion. The cost for imported oil in nineteen ninety it was around fifty one billion. Mm-hmm. But uh, under Donald Trump, it has sunk down to $16 billion, and now it's back up to $365 billion. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Derek? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I, I haven't seen that, but, I mean, I'm, I, I'd have to go look at it and see what maybe impacts, you know, I mean, we've seen because of it. But, I mean, I'm sure there is plenty of them because of the cost. Yeah, this is crazy what's going on with this. And I was talking to Amber earlier, Amber Kemper, our Constitution reporter, um, with with this whole oil um, craziness here. And the, it seems like the left hates – they don't hate oil because they, they, you know, burn, you know, jet fuel on their jets. They uh, they use it on the yachts and, uh, you know, the, the wealthy elite leftists. So they don't mind burning it. They don't mind using it. Uh, they don't mind flying all the world. Uh, and they don't mind getting oil from Saudi Arabia, from Iran, from Venezuela. They don't care about that. But they can't stand the idea of getting American oil, having American workers drill for it, having uh, Americans have the freedom to go wherever we want to go on $1.85 gasoline. Uh, this, is a, this is a political thing with them. It's an well, ideological thing. It's not an economic thing. Because yeah, they still want I mean, the oil. Uh, you know, they just don't want our oil. I just saw articles that, um, you know, the the Biden administration was approving new oil leases, um, you know, to to try to help combat that, to allow, you know, U.S. production to increase in order to refill the oil reserves. I was like, wow, okay, all right, something decent here. And then yesterday I see another article that says they basically came back and said, no, we're going to fight it. So where did that come from? Where where did the initiative to to drill just for the reserves? I mean, that's not the reason to do it. You know, what you want to do is is, is buy buy oil when it's cheap again. Not now. You're right. Well, I mean, I think he he was in an attempt to use use ours. I mean, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. maybe uh, you know another another uh, you know uh, uh, campaign promise. You know, to kind of make things look good for. For folks, I mean, I, I have no idea. I guess I saw the article and was just like, "Oh wow, okay, this is good." And unfortunately, yeah. yesterday, 
seen seen an article that less than one day after the other one that says, uh, you know, no, they're they're not doing this. I'm like, my goodness. Yeah. Um, hey, if you could anyway, put those in the economic uh, on our economic report page, uh, those are the kind of things I'd love to see. You know, especially if you if you, you know, know you're going to talk about an article, uh, you can put it on the yeah. Action Radio Economics Project. That'd be great because I want to find out about this. Because again, it goes to I'll get Pianca, I'll get you in just a second, but it goes to my argument that they they can't stand. Uh, American oil, and that the the, reason, the only reason to drill is to replace what I call their campaign fund, which is the strategic strategic petroleum reserve. In fact, I would actually charge the Democrats for that the, the cost of that oil that they've released because it's not an emergency. They never declared an emergency. This is a this is a campaign effort, and so there must be a way to to charge them for that uh, to do so. But this is political oil. Um, I want to get back to that in a little bit. Pianki, what were you going to say? Well, you know, when you talk about oil. We only concentrate on the upstream, upstream idea of it, but there's downstream, there's downstream effects too. That goes from uh, the people that's working in your auto zone. That goes into your plastic Tupperware products. That goes into other products and derivatives. Fertilizer. <laughs> fertilizer. Yes. So they'll all increase. This 365 billion is going to be passed right downstream, not just. And, you know, here's another thing, too. Why in the heck does the federal government have to give out leases on what's happening in states' land? That should be the state's responsibility, not the federal government. Yeah, let me ask Eric that because we actually did a show on that. I uh, spent two hours with Roger Roots, who defended the Bundys, and we talked about uh, state property versus federal. But uh, is the market saying anything about that? What do they, what do they think of no, billing the just for the reserve? The market really, really doesn't. But I mean, I would agree with Pianchi. I mean, I, I, you know, that's a that's a state function, and I mean, I'm sure, you know, they're doing it for whatever you could call it environment, environmental reasons. And I'm sure a lot of this probably probably came up after the Exxon Valdez thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because that thing was just monstrously tragic. Um, you know, for the for the size of it, I think that the the next closest thing that they've had. You know that was worse was the BP oil spill in the Gulf. Um, yep. You know, I mean, Exxon Valdez wasn't much smaller than that because the whole tanker cracked open. Uh, well, the captain was drunk. Remember Hazelbrook? <laughs> there was some, yeah. some pretty. I know, don't remember exactly the, what it was, but I mean, I, I uh, you know, was yeah. just kind of comparing. Um, That's what I remember. You know, the story. The, I could be wrong. We can check it, but yeah. Well, here's the thing yeah. too. Um, pipelines are safer than tankers. You know, pipelines are yeah, safer I mean, I, than, you know, and, and d- drilling in shallow water is safer than drilling in deep water. But because of uh, all, the, all the coastal wackos that don't want to drill for oil, you know, close to shore where it's much easier and safer, they insist. I mean, I don't know how deep the, the, the well was. I think it's a few, a couple thousand feet down out there where the, uh, the BP oil spill was. I mean, that's deep water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, uh, crazy deep, but I think it was the... Uh, the water conditions or whatever, the storms or something, and they had a problem capping that thing off. Yep. So it just bled for days. <laughs> well, it's like the pipeline. We're going to talk about another thing about the Nord Stream pipeline. It's interesting too. But as much as I'm an environmentalist and I would not want to put an oil rig directly above a pristine coral reef, that to me makes no sense whatsoever. It makes infinite sense, you know, to me to, um, to be able to drill for oil in a place where we can safely drill for oil. And the fact that there's right. no reason why we don't have oil off the coast of, of uh, why don't we have it off the coast of Pensacola? I mean, why not? You know, I'm the not United sure. States I don't know the answer. Ban it. Yeah. You know, we fly jets yeah. off the coast. They drop bombs off our coast. You know, F-35s yeah. dropping bombs every day and night, you know, from England. 
I mean, that's what they do. So why can't why can't we drill for oil um, off our coastline? I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to that. I, I mean, this is a rhetorical question. Yeah. In fact, I think uh, uh, Mike's already on the line here. So let's bring on uh, Mike Lynch, who's going to be who's a, a retired earth science teacher. Uh, so Mike, you might also get into this as well. Why can't we drill for oil off our coast? I th- <clears throat> excuse me. Morning, Greg. I think it's a combination of issues. What they talk about is potential. The biggest thing I've heard and I've seen is they talk about potential harm, potential environmental issues. Uh, I think you can do it. I believe, yeah, potential doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, but it could happen. Mm -hmm. So they use that as a a mechanism uh, to prevent the drilling. I think if you hold the oil companies accountable, if you make sure that they're doing it safely and within environmental... There's an infinite amount of regulations yeah. that hold oil companies accountable. I don't think that's, you know, that, that's not the, the problem is, is giving out the leases and are they giving out leases in a place that actually has oil? I mean, Derek, I mean, Mike, well, I'll get you in a second. I don't really know. And then the other thing, yeah. yeah, you mentioned about off the coast right here, and there's uh-huh. really no oil deposits that I'm aware of that oh, okay. are right so along that, the that coast makes in this area. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. but you go further south and further west, you go out into the central part of the Gulf where some of those larger rigs are, yeah, then you're going to, then you're going to find some deposits. Okay. Makes sense. Um, so Derek, do you know about the leases? Because the, the Brandon insurrection was fond of giving leases on land that had no oil. And then when they could, the oil companies didn't drill, they said, look, we gave them all these leases and they're not drilling. Well, there's no oil. <laughs> there's no natural gas <laughs> right. in, the, in the lease. Yeah, right. that, that's a, that's a common game that we see. Do you have any evidence of that this time? No, I mean, I well, haven't necessarily seen anything. And I mean, I, uh, I, I, the only article that I even seen that addressed that was that one I was discussing that was that was this week. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's fascinating. So how do these people think we're supposed to accommodate uh, a million barrels down? And, and, and my other contention is I, I firmly believe that the left hates America so much and hates oil so much, especially American oil so much, that the, they're not bringing – this is an excuse. I think they've always wanted to get rid of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve because they want to make it impossible for us to use oil for anything. You know, and then they, they want to force us into wind and solar, which doesn't work, folks. It doesn't work. I mean, it's great. It, look, you want to put solar panels on your house? Great. Love it. Heating and cooling works fabulously. You want to put a little windmill on your roof? Go for it. But to have these massive wind farms and solar things, you know, centralized um, wind and solar power is not economically viable yet. And even if it, it works, you know, there's still other alternatives that might be better. Derek, what's the, uh, Mike, I'll get you. I'll, I'll get you a little early, but uh, yeah, you're playing you know, the next hour. But I want to no, – let me just get this, this one thing on Derek. The economics of this, what's, what's, what are they saying about, uh, you know, about the, this, this whole idea of, of cutting back on oil and getting rid of the strategic petroleum reserve and trying to force us into a non-oil economy? I haven't seen anything about getting rid of the strategic oil reserve. Oh, that's my uh, but idea. I have seen, that's just me. Right, right. Yeah. I have seen stuff that that you know uh, said, "Hey, we we'd like to get us to a to a non-oil economy." And I mean, you have to understand that that's that that's. I don't want to say it's it's completely never going to happen, but it's probably never mm-hmm. going to happen in my timeline, or mm-hmm. or anybody that probably calls, except maybe that the girl that does the uh, declaration reading that's eighteen. <laughs> um, 
You know, <laughs> I mean, that might be a feasibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll ask uh, her about it next week. You know, the, yeah. the bottom line is, I mean, look look what just happened in Florida, for example, right? We had Hurricane Ian come through. There mm-hmm. is no way with, with millions out of power, they're going to roll in there with giant electric trucks right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're like, there's no way to charge the dang things. Yeah. Right. You know, unless they bring this massive generator. So how about the people that need to evacuate? Right. Mm-hmm. If you I'm sure you could come up with some kind of a plan, but you're still going to have to have some gas related car. Right. You know, I mean, to come back in until your power is established. I mean, Hurricane Ian was was pretty bad. But I mean, uh, you know, imagine like one like Katrina, where it was like uh, two months before some people got power. Right. You know what I mean? Like something that was like. A, a catastrophic, you know, at a, at, a, at an astronomic level, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, mm-hmm. um, I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, we're for them to even assume but, that in ten years they're going to make an impact. I yeah. think personally is is uh, a, a very aggressive stance in trying to make that happen. See, I don't even think it's desirable. And we talked about this with a bunch of folks. And again, this with Mike again the next hour. That carbon dioxide is a good thing. You talk to Gregory Wrightstone of the CO2 Coalition. We need more carbon dioxide. So there's nothing wrong with burning organic fuels, which I now call fossil fuels. So burning organic fuels is good for the environment. It's good for the plants. It's greening the, 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 the world. There's more food production. Uh, and the, the, the whole idea of climate change, I mean, CO2 is, comes, the rise in CO2 comes after the temperature increases. And Mike can confirm this you know, right. later too, that the, no, the, the temperature warms up first and then the carbon dioxide increases. Carbon dioxide does not cause the increase in temperature. There's not enough of it in the atmosphere to do that. Oh, well, who's the, the, the guy? Okay, let's go Pianchi, Derek, and then we'll, we'll start to bring Mike yeah. into the conversation just because... Well, before you know, they we're, had we're, the internal combustion engine, <laughs> they was using steam power by burning wood. Another point to your answer on carbon. offshore... Yeah. Yes. On, off core, on offshore drilling, those revenues should go back to the state, similar to what we see goes on in Alaska, where people receive yearly a check. And one other thing, one of the reasons why I come you go further and further out because the oil level on the ground drops. Remember, we're on a mountain. Right. Florida is on a mountain. So, you know, you go back, you got to go further out because the oil level on the ground drops. But it also replenishes itself naturally, too. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that a little bit. That actually, uh, uh, Gregory Wrightstone discounted that theory a bit that the Earth actually makes oil. I thought it did, but he he sort of said no, no, it's it's uh it is a biological organic you know algae mud soup compound that uh, but there's billions and billions of tons of it. There's plenty of it out there, so we don't have to worry well, about Russian that. Russian scientists said Russian scientists say that the Earth replenishes the oil. Yeah, and, and that's if what, you're saying well, that it's organic. If you're saying it's organic, then what we're saying is that at one point in the t- time, the diameter of the earth was like a marble. So, No, I know what you're saying. And like I say, I used to believe in, in the, the abiotic theory of oil. I'm not convinced now because of what Gregory says, and he's a climate geologist. I mean, this guy knows his stuff. I mean, he's, he's got PhDs in this, so, so uh, a different kind of thing. Um, Derek, let's, let's get your concluding comments here. Then I'm move over to Mike and, of course, Bianchi. Um, hopefully we'll save the rest of this next hour as well. Um, but the economics of this, I mean, how do they, how do they figure on uh, um, or do they have any projections where the price is going to go? Because there's only so much strategic petroleum to release. They've released most of it. We're, we're down to, what, 300 you know, uh, million barrels, and that's it? I don't know the answer to that, to, to yeah. be quite honest. So, um, you know what I mean? I, I, I know it's extremely impactful. Um, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I disagree that we're taking away our opportunities here. 
Um, you know, I mean, I've seen that the the guy I thought you had him on your show, the guy that posted something on LinkedIn about our carbon footprint and they blocked him. That's Gregory Redstone. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's been on okay. He's real busy yeah. now. He used to be on more, but now he's like really popular. So you know, he's hard to get. Yeah. So I mean, I just find it very interesting that you know, I mean, it's it's we're like the lowest carbon or, or lowest CO two input we've been, and it shows on that chart. I think it was that where it needs to, where trees need things to be, and mm-hmm. we're below it. Like basically, basically, we're killing the earth because we're not producing enough CO two. Exactly. Uh, you know. Yep. Yeah, 150, 150 parts per million is is death, and we were like 250, 300 when we started generating it. We need more carbon dioxide. We actually need to burn as, as many of our of our uh, organic fuels as possible right now to replenish carbon dioxide. Uh, and the extra carbon dioxide that is in the air is helping the plants. Well, and like I say, I'll talk to Mike. I'll get his uh, his impressions on that. But Derek, why don't you give your contact information once more, and then I'm going to shift over to Mike, and um, away we yep. go. Thank you, sir. No problem. Uh, appreciate everybody. This is Derek Park with Edward Jones. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. This Bye, Derek. In, uh... Have a nice weekend. Yep. Yeah, I'll take care. Yeah, thank you. Pianki, did you have a comment before I get to Mike? I'm going to, because we're going to go through all this stuff here. Well, yes, you, you're absolutely right. Without the CO2, they need to grow more trees and more ground coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, tilling of the soil and the farming operation is bad. Because it exposes the soil to the element, you should let that overgrowth go right back down into the soil and cover it and protect it onto uh, the ground and protect the ground. And uh, the earth produces gas and natural resources. I mean, that's just the way it, that's the way it happens. Yeah, no, uh, I agree with that, but it, it just takes a while. You know, the temperatures, pressures, and time. It, it takes a while. Yes, it, it takes a while to use it up. It takes a while to. To replenish anything that's worthwhile, it always takes a while. Look at that cake that comes out of the oven. <laughs> well, that's funny. Yeah, that's true. Exactly right. It's more it takes more time to make it than eat it. Uh, Mike, CO two. Let, let me do a little poetic thing. Where are you on CO two? Uh, basically, there is way too much emphasis on CO two in terms of what we're producing. There needs to be more of an emphasis on CO2 in the rainforest. When you think about, let's just give an example, in South America and areas like that, for years we've talked about them cutting down and, and burning up the rainforest. Well, those trees are, of course, part of the process in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. They're the ones taking in the CO2 and producing oxygen. And people are forgetting you've got to have those plants, those sorts of things. We it kind of goes back to this. This is my whole thing on this whole issue. Mm-hmm. The left or the woke scientists don't have a respect for timelines. In other words, when you look at history, you have to go back in history to see what's been taking place on the earth for the last 200, 2,000, 2 million years. Mm-hmm. People don't, the left especially, don't have any respect for looking at the timeline. We've had horrible hurricanes, for instance. Since 1900, the worst natural disaster in the United States was a hurricane in 1900. And when you start looking at things like natural disasters, timelines, things like that, they're trying, the left is trying to compress these timelines or act like they don't exist. And, and you can't do that. You can't simply ignore thousands and millions of years of Earth history and just say, well, it's just happening right now. That, that's mm-hmm. not the way this whole process works. It's like trying to say, well, we're going to compress the electric vehicle timeline instead of taking 50 years, 
50 years to do it. We're going to do it in 10. Well, that's just not realistic. But then to do that, you have to ignore the history of things that have happened in the past. And, and that's, I think, a big part of this whole debate is that they try and eliminate or ignore history. And I think that's part of it. And when you look at CO2 and the other things happening in our atmosphere, you know, our atmosphere had a lot of bad things happen to it. You know, but the dinosaurs were gone in a flash of, of basically a camera. Boom, gone. When you start looking back at things like mass extinctions and things like that, these are things that have happened in Earth's history. And we need to understand them and respect them and take them, put them in the context that they belong. Hmm. If you try and cram everything scientifically, which is what I believe the woke scientists try and do, you're trying to cram it down into 10, 15 years. You can't do that. That doesn't happen. There was a storm I was reading about the other day. I don't have the exact date on it, but sometime in the middle 1700s, there was a huge hurricane. And, and nobody, of course, in the middle of 1700s, 1740, 1750, of course, they didn't have the meteorology and weather instruments we do today. And, and, and so it's about, it's about discussion and representing or understanding history. They don't do that. They just go to the here and now. But what they've forgotten about is what happened in the past. And, you know, I could go on and on about that, but just look, you know, like I was going to talk about the history of the atmosphere and hurricanes and them claiming, well, we do that. you know, Senator um, Globe. Let's give your creds once again, too, because yeah. you're a earth science teacher. So let's tell folks who you are, and then we can go into this. And I'm, I'm curious why the left pick carbon dioxide as their, as their boogeyman, as their, their, their greatest danger, when it's actually an absolutely essential thing, especially with the carbon cycle, to replace the carbon cycle so that the carbon cycle continues, and that means burning organic fuels. That's actually a good thing for the Earth. Wouldn't that be a shock for the, the oh, yeah. people? Carbon dioxide, a certain amount is required to keep the Earth warm. You know, they talk yeah. about the greenhouse effect and everything else. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. How do you think we're going to manage to keep the Earth warm if we didn't have carbon dioxide in the atmosphere? I mean, well, water vapor, though. I mean, water vapor is far more of a, yeah, of a greenhouse effect, right? I mean, clouds, that's what keeps the Earth oh, yeah. warm. Water vapor, right. carbon CO2, all of that mm-hmm. plays a role in it. Right. And uh, I'll give you an example. Earth temperature, here's, here's one thing to look at. When Mount Pinatubo erupted in the Philippines, the, what happened then was average temperature in the Earth went down by 0.7 degrees Celsius, I believe it was, that summer. Yeah. And uh, I can remember, I was That's actually huge. in the Ozark. <laughs> yeah, I was in the Ozarks in August. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, I was in the middle of the woods. We had frost in August. Whoa. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. I had to go to the local Walmart in Rolla, Missouri to get some sweatsuits because I couldn't. I was freezing. It was that bad. And, and what people don't understand is you can look at these little micro events and say, oh, there's an example of something. And then when you put them all together, just like if you take all these hurricanes and put them all together, there's a pattern. There's a pattern that goes on, and the pattern remains relatively the same. The left would have us believe Galveston, 1900, six to 12,000 people were killed by that storm surge. And we don't know exactly how many. It may have been more because what they had to do, the people's bodies washed out to sea, and then they all washed back in. And the next tide, they had to actually take all the debris from Galveston Island, and they put all the bodies in with it and burned it. That was the only way they could get rid of all the bodies. Wow, I didn't know that. And when you think about yeah, a lot of people don't realize that, that the worst natural disaster in U.S. history was a hurricane. Mm-hmm. And it happened in 1900 in Galveston, on Galveston Island, 
and Galveston Bay, and it basically wiped, it basically erased the entire Galveston area. And that was a storm surge that did that. That was not wind. That's another thing people need to understand. Hurricanes basically have two components that cause most destruction, wind or water. Hurricane Andrew, that was a wind event. And Hurricane uh, Camille in 1969 was actually both. It was actually first a storm surge event, then a wind event. In fact, in Hurricane Camille, they could not find the weather instruments. They were gone. The weather instruments were written off. And I'll give you another example. Uh, In Biloxi, they used to have a pole. Hurricane Camille was what all hurricanes used to be measured by until Katrina. For comparison, they had a 24-foot pole that marked where the storm surge was for Camille. Katrina came in and took that pole away. The pole was yeah. gone. Well, let's let's get to the basics for people so they understand here. What what exactly is a hurricane? Mm-hmm. Where where does it start? How does it build? What does it do? And and Pianchi actually told us this earlier. That's so I'm but I'll let you uh, describe it. What's a hurricane? Tell me the story. It's it's basically a low pressure system that forms usually off the coast of Africa, mm-hmm. equatorially near the equator. As it moves across, it comes into warmer waters as it gets closer to the central and then. Uh, Western Atlantic, and then into the Caribbean, areas of the Caribbean and things like that, Caribbean Sea. So these are waters that are warmer anyway. We're not talking about global warming water. We're just talking about water that's normally warm because of where it is and how deep it is, right? Go ahead. Exactly. It's two things, how deep the the depth of the warm water layers and then the expanse of it on the surface of the ocean. Mm -hmm. That is the fuel. That's what makes a hurricane work. And what happens is as a hurricane moves towards the west, it begins to take on the characteristics of a larger and larger storm. The individual thunderstorms begin to actually rotate if there's no upper-level wind shear. So let's, let's, uh, let's talk about it because I know some basic weather. You know, Pianchi and I are both pilots. And so low pressure means air is rising. Yeah. So we've got air rising off uh, the coast of Africa. Uh, as air rises, Correct. it cools. The water condenses, forms clouds. Clouds become, when it comes heavy enough, becomes thunderstorms. And so let's, let's sort of go exactly. from there. So that's what a low-pressure area is, which and means high-pressure air around it is falling. So you've got falling air mm-hmm. and rising air. So, so let's, let's pick that up from there. Now, how, does that, how does that get to a hurricane? Well, actually, a hurricane has a low pressure at the surface, and a higher okay. pressure at the top in the upper oh. layers of the atmosphere. Okay. Because as the air comes in, it has to go somewhere. Right. So as the air comes in, it's funneled up the eye wall within those various storms, and it flows out at the top. So oh. what you will see in a hurricane picture, you'll notice you'll see the rotation, and then if mm-hmm. you look at the edges of it, you'll see clouds blowing off or clouds moving away from it. Yes, that's spiral. actually the high pressure. That it, it's venting. Uh, the best best thing I could come up with is ch- is a chimney. You know that okay. if you get a good get a good flow in your chimney, mm-hmm. air you can feel the air rushing into your chimney from your living room, right? Mm-hmm. That air is then going up and out the chimney. Now, if there's a good breeze flowing across that chimney, it pulls that air out fast. So it just oh, like kind of depends effect. on where you want to. So, so like a venturi, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, similar. But now you've got to add the Earth's rotation in there because right. the Earth's rotation plays a role. It's called Coriolis, which is, of course, the spinning that's imparted to things 
because of the Earth's rotation. So let's talk about and that. that that's, causes, that's a concept that is hard for people to understand. In other words, why hurricanes rotate. So we're going to get real basic weather, folks, and how we're going to relate this is why climate change is not the cause. Okay, or why the Earth's warming is, exactly. is, 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 you know, so we're going to get to that. But I want people to really understand what a hurricane is because people don't take the time to do this. And I think this is a really great opportunity. So explain Earth's rotation, Coriolis, and how this low pressure at the bottom, high pressure at the top starts rotating. Well, what happens is, is the Earth's rotation imparts a curve. They, they taught this. I learned about this so many years ago. Uh-huh. Artillery shells. If you shoot an artillery shell, and think mm-hmm. it's going to go in a straight line? It doesn't. You have to account for the Earth's rotation when you're going over a certain distance. I don't know what mm-hmm. it is because I'm not an artillery guy. But mm-hmm. they impart a bend to those shells. That's the same force that imparts spinning to a hurricane. That's why you'll notice low-pressure storms rotate in a counterclockwise direction. And the reason they do is because of the Earth's rotation. High pressure. So which way is it? So the Earth is, is rotating which way? Let's let's talk about this. This is fascinating to me. So the Earth rotates well, um, from east Are to west, right? Are you at the North Pole? Okay, yeah, west right. to east in the northern hemisphere. But right. if you look at a globe, we used to freak my kids out in the classroom. You take uh-huh. a globe and you spin it in the northern hemisphere. You notice that it's going counterclockwise. But guess what? Right. When you look at the South Pole, you flip it. It's clockwise. And that's because of yeah, the Earth's really. rotation at the different poles. When you yeah. pull the plug, when you pull the uh, stopper on your sink, whether you're in the northern or the southern hemisphere, it determines which way the water spins. I always used to pull my kids out because I'd ask them, okay, what if you're using a toilet right on the equator? What does it do? <laughs> kids would look it just drops. And they don't the bottom drops yeah, out they, of it. That's what they say. <laughs> They would say, oh, let's just go straight down. And, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of thing I used to do with my kids. That's how I kept them entertained. You've got to give them <laughs> something interesting. Anyway, I, I digress. Right. So the, i got a globe uh, right here. Is, yeah, i got a globe okay. on my desk. And so I'm now, looking look at, at the, I put my finger on the equator. The and as I spin the globe slowly and move my finger northward, it, it's actually rotating. In other words, it, it rotates across the earth. As if you, you, if you would, put your yeah, finger on, exactly. on the equator, drawn, move the globe slowly, yeah, and, that's, and it, and it goes the opposite pen, way in the south. Because yep. I did this with my kids. If you mm-hmm. had a pen and used one person, I had one kid spin the globe, I had the next mm-hmm. kid on a piece of paper take a marker, of course, to try and protect the globe, but mm-hmm. have them try and draw a straight line, they couldn't. Right. And the reason they couldn't is because of the Earth's rotation. We don't teach this anymore. They quit doing this. They well, we're doing it now. Let's <laughs> do it now. Yeah. So people will know. Yeah. And, so that's and, the same mistakes can be seen with a pendulum. Go ahead, Pianchi. Yep. Yeah, the same mistakes can be seen with a pendulum. Okay, one at a time, guys. A pendulum uh, swing it back and forth will travel around the room in 24 hours. Yep. Mm-hmm. If, if I've seen those experiments, you, call, you have a very slow-moving pendulum, and you have all these little, like, little domino things, right? And so you start it moving, and 24 hours later, it's, it's actually knocked down the dominoes in it's a circle. because, Right. And, you can, and actually, you can do that with a, with a, sand, a sand pit, and you mm-hmm. have the pendulum swinging back and forth. It'll actually create like a spirograph. Remember spirograph, mm-hmm. the old toy from the 60s? I used to have one. Yeah. I, I, I played with one for years. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, I love my spirograph. And yeah. it looks like it's... It looks like a spirograph. Well, that's because that is in part of the Earth's rotation... It's causing that. And what okay. people don't understand is, believe it or not, that little pendulum, 
can actually translate into how a hurricane forms and moves based on you know, the Earth's rotation. Because it's interesting because the gravity of the Earth, would think, you would think, would hold the hurricane in position where it wouldn't spin, but it actually doesn't work that way. I mean, airplanes have to take into account Coriolis when we navigate. So Coriolis, so the Earth is, yeah. is rotating, gravity is here, but it actually imparts a spin to the hurricane, and it's in opposite mm-hmm. directions in north and south. So what they call cyclonic and anticyclonic movement. So cyclonic movement is actually exactly. counterclockwise. Anticyclonic movement is clockwise. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the difference between yeah. a hurricane and a cyclone. So cyclones are in the southern hemisphere, you know, hurricanes are in the northern hemisphere, and that's yeah. the difference. So the Earth rotates, and, and it, you, you don't think about it. So it rotates actually, uh, if I remember, it goes from west to east, or does it go from east to west? Which way does the Earth rotate? Right, west to east. Which way? West, west to east. Okay. West to east. And just like uh, true, true yeah. north and magnetic north, right? Yeah, no, I know that just too. by Hudson Bay and Queens. Yeah. yeah, so I'm just Hudson looking Bay at my globe Canada here. So the, as the Earth goes from west to east, the east hits the sun first, and that's why the sun rises right. in the east. Right, so that's yeah. why okay. when I told my kids, anybody can mm-hmm. remember this, Greg, as you go to the east, the hours increase. As you go to the west, the hours become less. Hmm. So what you do is as you're going to the west, you're going backwards on the clock. As you go to the east, you're going forwards on the clock. Mm-hmm. England is approximately, London is approximately six hours ahead of us. Greenwich. So if it's 8 o'clock here now, it is 2 o'clock in the afternoon in London, and that's because we're rotating west to east. They see the sun first in New York. That's why you have eastern, central, mountain, and Pacific time, mm-hmm. four time zones in the continental United States. And it, I could get into a whole other thing. We're talking about hurricanes. But, so you know, so, the point so is, question, trivia question, how many time zones are there in the world? Uh, 20, I want to say 25. No, it's 25. Exactly the way right. How do you have 25? You split uh, the diamonds. You split the circumference of the Earth up into 15 degrees. You, did you know that Greenwich Mean Time, which is in Greenwich, England, but it used to be down the center of the Great Pyramid in Egypt? Well, that's did you know that. Well, well they could set any standard they wanted the for for when time is, but I, I think it's pronounced Greenwich. Um, but if I remember that there's 24 time zones because that's how they discovered longitude. Longitude is 15 degrees of time. Right. Yeah, you're right. 20, 24. You're right. Because it's 24 hours and in a day, and longitude is, yeah. is divided. It's longitude by hours as opposed to latitude, which is set, set right. by parallels and angles of the sun. Oh, and we're having fun today. This is, this and is a great chat. Yeah, ahead, and it's almost 360 degrees. Right. And that's what creates the grid system for latitude and longitude. And mm-hmm. GPS so longitude, and all that sort of longitude is fascinating. So do you know how they used to te- detect their longitude before GPS? They used to use uh, stars. The North well, Star that's Dead Reckoning. You could what do you do during the daytime? Yeah. Do you know how they did it? Uh, it's fascinating. It was time. No, the way two, I understand it, no. it was time. It was time, but they used There's two a, clocks. Okay? Use two clocks. Exactly. This is how you do it. You said you said one clock stays on Greenwich Mean Time because that's your standard, right? Mm-hmm. And the other time right. is set for noon. You reset it for noon when the sun is at its highest point. That's your local time. And the difference between those two, right. the hours difference, you can you add fifteen um, degrees per hour because fifteen times twenty four, I think, is three hundred sixty. So fifteen degrees per hour, mm-hmm. and whatever the time difference is between the the height of the sun where you are. And Greenwich Mean Time, that hour difference, that's how you figure your longitude. Is that you fun? know who actually figured that out first? The uh, Egyptians. I've, oh, that's interesting. 
Eratosthenes figured out they didn't know the earth was round. They didn't know the earth. They had no clue until they figured out. They looked at two observations, one in Syene, Egypt, and one, mm-hmm. I believe, was in Cairo. Mm-hmm. And they looked in the bottom of a well, and they had charted on a time when the sun hit the bottom of the well. Oh, well, in these two locations, yeah, and the two locations, Eratosthenes figured out that the sun in Syene, Egypt, at noon or at its highest point, of course, mm-hmm. lit the entire bottom of the well. But right. in, outside of Cairo, they looked at it, and it didn't. The sun was to the side of the well. Hmm. Well, they figured out the only way that could be true is if the earth was curved. And that's how I'm going to yeah, look up. Before him, Go ahead, Bianchi. Before him, they had a yeah. calendar. You can see the calendar today. It's in Bendera. And it encompassed 25,000 years because it's the time that it takes the imaginary line down the center of the earth to process, pro- progress through all the constellations takes about 25,000 years. And you know another thing, too, you talk about the sun overhead. In the plains, at high noon, the lions all give off a big roar. Rawr. Oh, they do? And that's why they used to call the sun rock. Yeah. And in the morning, in the Tory Forest, the baboons would hold their hands up toward the sun as it breaks across the horizon. I've never seen that. That's, that's interesting. Well, you ain't never been in the Congo, have you? What's that now? <laughs> you never been in the forest in the Congo, have you? Not yet. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> I'd love to go. But, you know, the, the experiment I'd I heard, I heard an experiment where they had a ship in England. And what they did was the ship sailed, and they had three cannons. They had a cannon at, at uh, sea level on the dock. They had a cannon midway up this mountain, and they had a cannon at the top of the mountain. And they fired when the ship disappeared from sight. And obviously the sea level cannon disappeared at about 30 miles. Uh, the mid-level was like about 50 or 60, and whatever the top one was like, you know, 80 or 90 miles. And so as the cannons fired, they realized that the time difference as the ship sailed away, uh, the only way that that could happen was if the earth was round because the highest point, the highest elevation could see the ship for the longest time. That was the the other way they proved the earth was round. Mike? You can, you can see that. Yeah. You can see that on Navarre beach pier. If you look to the West, if Mm -hmm. you look to put to Pensacola beach and you look, you cannot see the very bottom of the hotels. Hmm. You know why? They're just below the horizon. Oh, that's hysterical. Exactly. Yeah. So if you step, I learned that my dad showed me this like, I don't know how many years ago. God love, uh-huh. God bless his soul. But yeah. I, I learned and watched. He showed me. I can't remember where we were. I think we were in Tampa or someplace. And we were looking at hotels way down the beach. He said, you can't see the bottom of them, can you? And I was mm-hmm. looking through binoculars. I said, no, you can't. He said, that's because that shows you the earth is curved. You couldn't see over the horizon. So that's a, that's a whole other thing for another day. But. That no, no. This is, actually, this is a great day for this because this is fascinating, and because people don't talk about this, they don't they don't learn this in school. You know, kids today have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. I'm going to send this the show. To, well, I'll send yeah. it over anyway, but I'll send her the show and and see if uh, you know if she has any uh, you know basic Earth knowledge. Kids don't know where they are. They don't know where the time is. They don't know how far away the moon is relative to the sun. They don't know how we're rotating. Way. I found the direction, you know. And so this is fascinating stuff. Greg, they you can see the curvature. Okay, one at a time. You could see the curvature. When I'm in Africa, you can see the curvature of the earth when you look out onto the ocean. Well, here's another thing, too. One of the reasons mm-hmm. you knew that, that the earth was round, because a ship at shore would take off, 
and go out into the ocean, and it would slowly, slowly, slowly disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they thought they yep. would fall and off the, the end of the world. Now, coming in. Right. So here's a question, Mike. So why, so, and this gets to climate change, so that people, even with all this overwhelming evidence that the Earth was round, believed it was flat for centuries beyond these obvious experiments. So that was a belief system. So they were actually encouraged to believe system that, that was easily provable that was false. The Earth is round, but to believe the, the, the flat earthers still continue to believe it. In fact, they, they kill people who didn't believe that the Earth was flat. Uh, and and this right. is, you know, this is inquisition issue. Well, let's relate that to climate change. What's the difference between people believing in climate change, which demonstrably does not exist in terms of the way they do it, that carbon dioxide is warming up the atmosphere and we're all going to die, we're all going to get swamped by the oceans when the polar ice caps melt. You know, they believe that completely. Is there any difference between believing in this climate change nonsense and believing the earth is flat? Because in both cases, there's overwhelming evidence to the contrary, and it's easily proven. Mike? It- yeah, the the problem is is what you're using it for. The definitions of climate, oh. the definitions of weather. You know, th- their purpose, I believe, is to manipulate people into thinking a certain way. In other mm-hmm. words, we have to have less fuel because of it's poisoning the atmosphere. Less fossil fuels. Uh, we're in. We've got to have all electric cars. Uh, your cars now have to shut off anytime you're at idle. At a, at See, a that's, that that's an excellent point, stuff. too. I, I don't understand that because that's going to, you know, I, would, I should invest in, in companies that make starters because they're going to need a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You know, Ooh, yeah. If you're using your starter. It should be called you know, organic fuels, by the way. Yeah, well, that was the other thing, too, yeah. But uh, we start calling them organic yeah. fuels. We don't say fossil fuels anymore. They're organic fuels. Oh, that's so, right. Excuse me. So uh, see if we can, we can put that into your lexicon. So organic fuels, but organic fuels are necessary process. for the carbon cycle, and nobody argues that. It's necessary to burn organic well, they're fuels. Necessary. They're necessary for survival. We're back to the history again. If you okay. look at the history of the Earth, if you look mm-hmm. at things that have been taking place, the Earth's atmosphere has always changed. You know this from being a pilot. One of the first things they teach you is the atmosphere is a fluid. Okay? Mm-hmm. People don't understand because they don't take classes anymore or they don't get educated anymore. Don't they have Earth science in, in eighth grade? Person. I mean, I had an eighth grade in this country. I had an Australian fourth grade. Yeah. You know, don't, no earth, more, earth science? What's it been replaced by? And it's more physical science. Yeah, it's more physical science because they're getting them ready for, dare I say it, standardized tests. But that's a whole oh. other for another day. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, can just, you can come and back Fridays. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind if you're on here most Fridays unless I have another guest. But, yeah, we can get you back fairly often. It's just fun. I, I enjoy the banter. But I, okay. I also enjoy, for instance, let me, let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. Let's go over the worst hurricanes to hit or the most powerful hurricanes to hit the United States. Look at the okay. timeline. 1900 was the Galveston storm. When was that? 1935. Wait, wait, wait. When, when in 1900? Um, I want to say it was September. I don't okay. have my chart in front of me, uh, but I can give you the dates and the, the, the area hit. Galveston, 1900. The Labor Day storm hit the Florida Keys in 1935. And that killed about 400 World War I veterans. Wow. They've been sent down to build the Flagler Railroad to mm. go between the Keys, down to Key West. They were stuck there on a train when the 1935 uh, hurricane hit, and they all drowned. Uh, 1969, which I said was Hurricane Camille, went mm-hmm. in at uh, Biloxi, Bay St. Louis, was the standard that most hurricanes were measured by until Katrina. 
Mm-hmm. Camille was a wind event first and then a water event. The uh, I believe my sister said it went in three miles. The, the actual storm surge went in almost three miles up Bay St. Louis. And then, of course, in 1992, you had Hurricane Andrew, which was significantly a wind event that came mm-hmm. in at Homestead, Florida. Remember, on the East Coast, cut across southern Florida. And that had a second landfall in Louisiana, but it, but it had been downgraded. Uh, and then, of course, you had Hurricane Michael in 2018. Mm-hmm. That was a category. I was here for that one. So, yeah, but that was just yeah, far enough so, away. It wasn't uh, didn't really affect us here. Look at the spacing. Yeah, you'll see the spacing is about the same. Yeah, 30-year increments. Oh, and this is something my sister did. My sister, I think I'd mentioned to you, was a member of the Hurricane Hunters for like 17, 18 years. Right, yeah, years. we're going to get her on the show sometime, we, right, Mike? I've got, to try, I've got to talk to her. Yeah, I haven't had it. Okay. You've been so busy, it's been crazy. Oh, I understand. The, uh, there's, there's a cycle, and they did a, the Hurricane Hunters did a lot of research on this, and they found that there's a cycle, that a natural cycle the Earth goes through when it mm-hmm. comes to major storms and hurricanes. And if you look at the spacing, there may be a little bit of difference, but it's normally 25 to 30-year cycle when you have these. And, and it's not a mystery. And they go back to 1900. For heaven's sakes, where were the woke people in 1900 when six to 12,000 <laughs> people were killed? Where, well, it's where interesting were they that um, one of those times, the 1935 hurricane, one of the warmest periods in our history recently was the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the rise of communism, Nazism, fascism in Italy, uh, and socialism in the United States all happened during one of the, the, the warming periods. So it's really interesting. But one of the worst hurricanes happened uh, during that time. So the question is, did the hurricanes lead the warming period? Did the warming period lead the hurricane? I mean, there may be something to that. There, there are more hurricanes during warm weather, which actually makes sense well, in a way. Where um, you on earth. Well, wait a minute. Hang on. Let me just let me follow this through. Um, so, so uh, Mike, what is the purpose of a hurricane, uh, environmentally speaking? Why does the Earth have hurricanes? Well, the Earth well, because is she wants hold, hold on, Jackie. And you There's have a reason get, I'm asking this question. As you get warmer, as you get warmer, and at the equator, you get cooler at the poles. There's an exchange right. of air from the, there's permanent uh, high pressure at the poles, permanent low pressure at the equators. The equatorial mm-hmm. winds and things like Rising that. Rising air, falling so air. Yep. The, Got it. Exactly. And those, when you start to spin the earth, like we talked about earlier, the Coriolis effect, as you start to spin the earth, that imparts a spin on those air masses. And these air masses move back and forth. It was an air mass that actually held off Ian for the longest time before it hit. It was an air mass. Remember about a week before they had it coming at us? And then they changed it as the earth, as an air mass came from the north. It pushed a low-pressure trough. I'm going to just, just suffice to say the steering currents moved it, allowed it to go, and that's why it went east into Coral Gables and, that air, and Tampa, just south of Tampa and Fort Myers. Instead of up north. that wind yeah. imparted. Yeah. Bent it okay. more east than All right, let's, so all right, let's get Pianchi's comment, and then, I want, and then I'm going to tell you my understanding of why we have hurricanes, because they do fulfill a very specific purpose. Pianchi, why don't you make your comment? In the oh, well, yeah, the, they do fulfill a, a purpose to clean the air and everything else. You know, another thing, if there was an ever replant the vegetation in the Sahara Desert, mm-hmm. a lot of that would change also because it's the impediment that air, it, that, that, that the foliage and trees cause 
that affects the flow of air too. Yeah, you don't see development off uh, South Africa, uh, South America. You don't have the Amazon rainforest, you know, creating hurricanes. They come off the Sahara Desert, which is really interesting. That's a good point. Well, let me tell you mm-hmm. what I understand this. Let me tell you what I understand this to be, because I've read several articles on this, that hurricanes are essential for maintaining a more stable temperature of the Earth. So hurricanes are actually the cure for global warming in certain places. So the equator is warm, the poles are cold. So what hurricanes do is they transfer heat from the equator into the northern latitudes in the summertime here. They transfer heat into the, the, the lower latitudes uh, at their summer. And so hurricanes are an essential part of maintaining a more consistent global temperature. Now, the, the, only, the, the way nature does this, unfortunately, is, is very destructively. It creates these massive storms. But what they are, this is a heat engine because they're driven by heat. They're created by heat. So, yes, okay. would warm air create more hurricanes? Yeah because you've got to get that air from the equator up north. So in that respect, yes. But is it man-made climate change that's doing that, or is it just warmer air? Is it just the environmental conditions? And I would say that it's not man-made climate change. Your SUV did not cause Hurricane Ian. That's absurd. You know, we don't create anywhere near enough that the natural forces of the earth, the natural cycles, the 30-year cycles, the temperatures of the, of the oceans, the currents that move, and some of these take decades to, to, to fulfill, you know, one circle of the ocean underneath it. You know, there's all this stuff going on, that these are natural things, that this is part of our natural system, that, you know, in the intelligent design of how the earth works, that hurricanes are essential for, for maintaining a consistent temperature by moving heat from the equator to the northern latitudes. That's what they're for. And we don't spend time teaching our kids, like you just said, the Earth's uh-huh. atmosphere is a fluid. And uh-huh. what we don't teach our kids, you're lucky because you've been instructed as a pilot and so on. You have to take certain meteorology classes and everything else. You understand that a storm is like a leaf on a stream. You know that leaf is going to go downstream, but you don't know exactly where in that stream it's going to sit, do you? It's mm-hmm. the same thing with weather. Weather is the same way. A hurricane is basically floating like a tub. It's floating in a tub, and yep. it moves back and forth. And that can change just like happened with Ian. God love the people in Florida. We pray for them, of course. But yep. the, the, the hurricane could have was at one time making a beeline right for Pensacola. And oh, then it gradually turned and moved. Huh. Yeah, it was. We were we were at the very beginning on the cone. It had right. Pensacola in the cone. And then it gradually moved east further and further as the weather changed, as right. the atmosphere and the winds as that low-pressure trough came south, it pushed it more east than north. It hmm. could have hit here. It could have hit uh, Destin, uh, you know, Mexico Beach, which, of course, is where uh, Michael came in. So... You know, there, there's areas, I mean, Trina and uh, Hurricane Camille followed almost the exact same path. Now, was that destined? Yeah. Was that who knows? But, but the point is, all these, all these things happen because of the Earth's atmosphere interacting with all the elements, the wind, the rain, and so on. Heat, at the, as you said, Greg, at the equator, cool at the poles. But we don't mm-hmm. teach that to kids anymore. So now yep. what happens is you get Amy Klobuchar, the senator <laughs> from Iowa, I think. She's the one who said, well, Ian's evidence, that shows you global warming, global climate change. And everybody's like saying, no, you're off the wall. Even the, even the lefties were saying, no, nah, you don't need to be saying that because that's <laughs> not true. Ian was only and the evidence of nothing. Hold on, Pianchi. Hold on, Pianchi. Yeah. I'll give you a chance. Ian Go ahead, Mike. Finish. Evidence. Yeah. 
Ian is simply evidence that our atmosphere is constantly in change, constantly moving. It's a liquid. It flows. It, it ebbs. It changes direction. And that's what, you know, meteorologists are the only people that can be right 50% of the time and get 100% of a paycheck. That's <laughs> what my sister always says. And, and it's true. If you think about it, because it's fluid, it, it, it's partially science, partially art. Forecasting these storms, it takes experience, it takes background, it takes statistics, but it also takes a little dose of common sense. And the left, the wokes, they, they don't have common sense. Well, they're just exploiting this. They're, they're trying to use it for their own purposes. But the, I mean, the earth does warm. There are hotter summers and cooler summers. And the hotter summers would create mm-hmm. more storms uh, and, uh, and more hurricanes simply because – you know, you've got to transfer more heat from the equator to the northern latitudes. But Ian's like the first storm we've had. I don't, there, usually we'll get like seven or eight tropical storms that go different places. One or two might turn into a hurricane. We've had nothing this year. Ian was the first one. Now it's huge, but it's been but, it. And that's and because, been a cool that's summer. Because, right, and that's because of what's been happening in the Pacific Ocean, which was bringing wind shear across the Caribbean and that area. Wind shear tears a storm apart. It takes the top part of the storm off. Well, if you, it's like plugging up the chimney. If you plug up a chimney, your fireplace won't work. It's the same thing with a hurricane. If you take the top off of a hurricane, the convection won't take place. Okay. You can't explain have that air shear, moving up inside. To, uh, yeah, I want to get to uh, Pianchi's point, but really explain wind shear. Go into that and, and describe how that works. How does it get from the Pacific okay. to the Gulf? The Earth's atmosphere not only moves – see, this is the thing. People have to think three-dimensionally. You're not right. just doing air up and down. You're moving air forwards and backwards, kind of like learning pitch, yaw, and everything in a plane. Well, winds do the same thing. Winds go up and down. They move right to left. They move left to right. Mm -hmm. What happens in the atmosphere is at different levels, you will get different directions of flow. In other words, the jet stream. We've heard of the polar jet, the subtropical jet, and those, they move north and south depending on the time of year. Well, what happens is, obviously, they move south in the winter because that brings the cold air from the north. And in the summer, they move north because then that brings the warm air. What mm-hmm. happens is those jet streams will actually cut off a part of a storm. If a hurricane comes into that environment, that's not favorable for formation. But you won't get a hurricane in a very big wind shear environment. In other words, at 30,000, 35,000 feet, you'll get these jets coming back and forth across the earth and predominantly east to west or west to east, depending on what latitude you're at. Mm-hmm. And they're what tears the storm mm-hmm. apart. They take the top of the storm off, no convection, no convection, no storm. So how and high are the um, – how, um, how high uh, – all right, go ahead, Bianchi, then I'll ask my question. Bianchi, go ahead. That's why I come Canadian geese hitch a ride on the jet springs. Nature does mm-hmm. it best, and that's why your cumulus clouds are flat at the top because of the jet stream. Think. He's talking about the top of the cumulus like a storm cloud, yeah, Bianchi, that what you're talking about? How- yes, on the storm clouds. If you ever look at the storm cloud at the top, it's flat like an anvil. That's because they, they, mm-hmm. they're coming up in contact with the jet stream. And geese hitch a ride on the jet stream to get from the north to the south. Uh, and ducks, too. Yeah, but the jet stream makes a curving path. It starts like up around Seattle, comes down to the middle and- of the country, and then it goes up back up to like Boston again. Uh, it's a cone of okay. air. And it's not that right. wide. What's that? Okay, Stephen Greg, why does it follow a curved path? Let's oh, go back to what we learned earlier. Yeah, your throat hits. Coriolis. 
But why does it go yeah, back up again? So in other words, it descends down, then comes back up again. I would think it's more the pressures. Yep. Well, here's the question. Is it more the rotation of the earth or the pressure systems that make a bigger difference? Because high pressure it's, from the north, low pressure from the south. Okay, so they all tie in. It's the interaction, like Pianchi just said, it's the interaction yeah. of all those elements. And right. that's why the global warming, global climate change people don't take all the elements into account. Because if you start adding in all these little events and examples right. of how the atmosphere is moving and changing, all of a mm-hmm. sudden, guess what it does? Climate change go bye-bye. Man-made climate well, yeah, change. Well, yeah, because our SUVs are not going to change these, these gigantic forces. No. Now, how, how high is the jet stream and how high is a hurricane? We should probably talk about that. Well, the way now, it, it depends. Normally, between 30 and 35,000 feet, you'll begin to run into some of the jets. And, it's, okay. and the jet stream is not a river. I need to point that out. The jet right. stream is actually sections. You'll have a section of faster-moving air and a section of slower-moving air. You might have – you're a pilot. You understand mm-hmm. what they teach you is as you're going through the layers of the atmosphere, you're going to experience change in wind direction, wind speed, going up, going down. And oh, they so do on. that in balloons. That's, what the That's how they fly is. balloons. They go to yeah. different altitudes exactly. and the winds are a different, uh, different direction. Yeah. Yep. Direction. So you need mm-hmm. to know that that's what weather balloons are for. Weather balloons actually, and now they can do it by satellite uh, as well, but they used to use weather balloons to figure out where those jets were, and they would base mm-hmm. forecasts based on the location of parts of the jet stream. And there are parts of it, and it's in sections. People think it looks like a big river like they show on the news at 5 o'clock. That's really not the way it works. There's, there's pieces and parts of that jet stream. There's places where it's flowing faster, places where it's flowing slower. Remember how they discovered all this? Japanese pilots in World War II discovered the jet stream. They discovered it because they found out story. if they went up in – yeah, they, they found themselves getting over their targets faster than they had planned because they were having a tailwind. Oh, okay. That's how they found these sections of the jet stream, yeah. They had to calculate, you know, navigators could calculate, take navigation because you're a pilot. You have right. to go a certain speed over a certain time to get to a certain point. They were getting to their points faster. And they said, what the heck's going on? They got on? home slower. Well, they, they, <laughs> they, they, they had, got yeah. Home. Yeah. <laughs> they had a tailwind. And that, was a, that made a difference in how they, how they discovered it. it was actually because of these military planes. Well, that was the first time that, uh, yeah. that people were flying high enough to do that. They had pressurized airplanes. That was one of the problems with the B-29. But they were on oxygen, and mm-hmm. we had supercharged, turbocharged airplanes. So World War II was the first time the planes were high enough to be in the jet stream. But Pianchi was talking about ducks and geese. I, I think they only go up to about 20,000 feet because the air gets too thin for them after that. And no, the jet stream is about 30,000. You 30, see some geese up higher than that. Geese oh, have do? been okay. seen up higher than that. Okay. <clears throat> see, here's the yeah. thing. The first um, – you know how the first teacher of human beings right, was nature. They observed nature. Then that was used as their basis of further understanding. When B-29s was bombing, they flew from east to west. If they flew from north to south, then the rotation of the earth would cause the bombs to fall all over the place. So it's, it's, it's nature. It, I mean, it's very miraculously the way all this stuff goes together. And, you know, one other thing, too, I don't know which, who your science teacher, I don't know his name. But the thing oh, that's Mike? not taken into consideration, we talk about near miss in outer space. If a large enough asteroid, say like the size of four or five states, was to pass within the vicinity of the Earth, 
it could draw off some of our atmosphere because the atmosphere is, like you say, liquid, and it's affected by the gravitational pull of other planets, the sun, and so on, so on, so on. Well, the it's moon a very delicate balance that we live in. Yeah, the moon creates the tides, and that, that pulls our, our, our water all the time. Does it pull the oh, atmosphere, too? women are going in menstrual periods, too. Yeah. Hey, Mike, does the, does the moon pull and atmosphere the way it pulls the tides of the water? Not to my knowledge. It's the water is – now, you get, remember, you have solid, liquid, and gas, the three right. states of matter, the three basic states of matter. Uh-huh. Obviously, solid is the hardest to pull. Liquid would be the second hardest or second easiest, and air being the lightest, you would think it would be the easiest to pull. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, and I, I don't know the answer to this. I'm going to look it up now, though, because you got me interested. The, <laughs> the tides, of course, it pulls, it pulls the oceans up. And then on right. the opposite side of the earth, you actually get a lower high tide opposite mm-hmm. of the moon. Yeah, a lot yep. of people, it, yeah, if you're a sailor, right. you get this. Yeah, well, spring tides and ebb tides. You, tides. Tides. you know exactly. something else, yeah. too? And yeah. you, you know something else, too? You can, I, can I, I, I travel to Egypt a lot, and you look at the, in the pyramids and on the tombs, you see pictures of mm-hmm. ships sailing. Hmm. And the one reason you know that whether they were sailing at night or day is that they had their sails up. Because if they held their sails up and they're on the Nile River, they're sailing from the north to the south. Because the wind comes in off the oceans during the daytime because of the sun heating up the ground. It causes low pressure. At night, uh-huh. of course, they flow down the river with the flow of the currents. And that's that called sense. a sea breeze and a land breeze. During the day, you get a sea breeze with the air coming in, like he just said, off of the oceans. At night, mm-hmm. guess what happens? It turns yeah. around. It goes onshore, from the land onshore. Of the yeah. shore breeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's hey. caused by the fact that you heat the ground faster than water. And the yeah. ground yeah. retains the People were worried about their houses too. in those directions, too. Yeah. People were worried about their houses in those directions. Let me get a comment in for one of my uh, from our live chat folks. We we haven't got a lot of live chats. Nice when we do. Talking about uh, uh, says uh, I think that about the polar vortex and that sat over the New England area about six years ago. What was the hurricane frequency that year? Uh, they've got says then use that against data hurricane frequency in 2022. Uh, it's one of the hottest years on record. Well, the, the tip, let me just toss something on the, on the heat. They are doing a range. When they say the hottest year on record, they're taking the top of a range. They give you a range for how hot a year is. And so mm-hmm. when they say that, they're, they're, they're maximizing the heat, saying it's the hottest year on record. But in the range of temperatures, it's, it's a fraction of a degree above previous years. So that hottest year on record is a misnomer. That's, that's the global climate change yeah. lobby that's doing that. But what do you think about... It uh, depends on where about, you are. Yeah, but what about the the polar vortex? So how do the polar winds and the polar the high pressure area come down from the poles? Like in the wintertime, we get that here in Florida. We get you know from Alabama, we get cold no. polar. It snows in Florida. I can't believe it in the Panhandle here. It's crazy. How about the polar? Oh, winds? my sisters told me my sisters. Yeah, my sisters lived here for twenty two, twenty three years, and of uh-huh. course for part of that time she was still flying with the hurricane hunters. So you know the weather depending on where you are. This is where geography comes in. Mm-hmm. Geography plays a part in this, too. Are you closer to the water? Or are you further away? And this mm-hmm. is what gets me with the global climate change people, man-made climate change. They don't take any of this into account. And they figure they have a populace who's just not knowledgeable enough that they can sell this 
garbage. And that's where part of this comes from, I believe, is lack of knowledge. And maybe if we can do this on your show every Friday and maybe get some more knowledge, get my sister on here, that would be mm-hmm. great. Well, I don't want to do it every Friday um, because I think uh, these kind of these are intense yeah. discussions, and I'm probably going to have other guests. Fridays, it's the only hour that I have open on Friday, but I can certainly do it regularly, and so we can do it. Unless uh, you oh, know, okay, some, I'll, I'll let you know each week, I'll tell you what's happening. But uh, yeah, you're welcome to come yeah, over, you know more often. This would be fun. Yeah, Science Friday. I know one other thing. One other thing too, uh, during the uh, building of the Transcontinental Railroad, in that period of time. The Indians said that they was experiencing the coldest winters that they have known in a long time. And it was based on that cycle that you just got through talking about, those 30, 35, 30-some-odd 30 years. But uh, that's their accounting on record that they was experiencing one of the worst winters that they've ever experienced. So all these things take a place. And they wanted to associate it with the railroad coming, was causing bad spirits to come up. But no, it was just uh, one of those cycles that the earth is in. Mother Nature knows best. And we have an evidence. Let me give you a little bit of, Greg knows, we talked about this uh, a week or so ago. The -hmm. eruption of Mount Tambora in Indonesia in 1815. I think we discussed that a little bit, didn't we, Greg? Yeah. About what yeah, but how did, let's talk about that too, but we never really talked about how volcanoes change, change the temperature and change the climate. So, so what, what is it about a volcano? What, is the, what are they erupting that sulfur, makes the difference? Sulfur dioxide, okay. which is a release by volcanoes. Besides water vapor, sulfur is one of the other main ingredients of volcano. Not carbon dioxide? When it I'm shocked. Isn't it carbon dioxide? I mean, the, the boogeyman chemical? I know. Oh, okay. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's after water vapor. It's sulfur dioxide. Well, what that does is that mixes with moisture in the atmosphere, and it forms droplets, tiny microscopic droplets. What they do is they in, intercept the, I think we talked about this, insolation, incoming solar radiation that's mm-hmm. coming in, and those tiny sulfur dioxide particles from that volcanic eruption and it was like four cubic miles of Earth's crust that went into the atmosphere, if oh, I remember wow. correctly, with Tambor. Okay. And what that did was that scattered through the atmosphere. That was called the year without a summer. It snowed on the 4th of July in Albany, New York. Now, it, yeah, it snows in New York, but not on the 4th of July. Okay? <laughs> it snowed in New York on the 4th of July. There were massive So what does that do in the air? So how does that lower the temperature? Well, it prevents the, the warming of the sun's rays get stopped at the upper levels of the atmosphere. In other words, where the mm-hmm. sulfur dioxide forms a layer, basically, mm-hmm. in the stratosphere, not in the troposphere, but above it in the stratosphere, and a little mm-hmm. bit higher. That prevents that incoming solar radiation from warming the earth, and it brings temperatures down. Like I talked about with Mount Pinatubo mm-hmm. uh, when I was in the Ozarks that summer, and we had frost in August. It was the same thing. I looked it up later, and it lowered the northern hemisphere temperature by 0.7 degrees Celsius, which is a so huge amount So why couldn't of- you use a sulfur compound or a sulfur shield on your house to reflect sunlight uh, <laughs> and use that as like an air conditioning system? I think it would be cheaper to go out and get Reynolds Wrap, <laughs> Okay. to be quite honest. I, That's not a bad the idea amount of mon- Would that work? Would you tin know, foil reflect solar energy off your house? I think it would. I mean, it reflects energy back when you bake a potato. The whole idea of a baked potato was to keep the heat in. 
Right. Well, you do that with an aluminum foil, except you're doing the opposite. You would have. But it's to the reflective quality, not the insulating quality. So it's the reflect. Well, maybe it's both. Right. The reflective quality of of, of tin foil. Of course, the problem is airplanes flying overhead. They're probably going to get blinded, <laughs> you know, by this. But anyway. Yeah. Um, that's another issue. I was okay. going to say you're going to be a real friend with your pilot friend. Okay. That's not going to work. You aviation. No, I didn't, I didn't say it was going to work. I was just exploring a theory. But here's my, here's here's what I remember of my basic chemistry from from high school. Okay, so we've got H2O, which is the water vapor. We've got SO2, which is the mm-hmm. sulfur dioxide. Okay, and H2O right. plus SO2 equals H2SO4. That's sulfuric acid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that's it where is. acid rain came now from. Now it's very mild. And, and you it's, know what that is? Hold on, Piaki. Hold on, Piaki. It's acid. Go ahead, Mike. It's acid rain. That's what I just said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but so now how does that low, play in? But it's such, a, it's such a small amount. It's, it's microscopic compared to everything else. But just that little change, natural change here, natural, not man-made, that natural mm-hmm. change has a long-term effect. You know, when you look at Mount Pinatubo and, like I said, uh, uh, Mount Tambora, when mm-hmm. you start looking at these events, then you say, wait a minute, that was a natural event that changed that temperature that year. or this, It wasn't man-made. All this has been going on forever. Just now, they seem to think everybody's woke. Or uh, as Rahm Emanuel says, never let a good crisis go to waste. You know, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. The, the atmosphere changes. It moves. It, it, it's a living thing. And so, where was, down, so where was the acid rain, though? Let's get back to, you know, Jackie's point in my opinion, that, uh, that you're mixing sulfur dioxide from either pollutants or from a volcano, and of course, the the, the volume from a volcano exceeds any number of industrial processes. You know, Ooh. thousands of years worth going to one volcano. But the whole idea of acid rain—that was a big thing back in the '80s. People were saying, "Oh no, the forests forests are dying you know, of sulfuric acid, nitric acid, and things like that," because these chemicals were going to the air from cars and factories. They were binding with the water, forming uh, acid, nitric acid, and sulfuric acid. And you're saying that it wasn't a significant see, amount. So how does that out? Is, uh, no. That rain occurred over in Africa. Uh, they want to claim that it caused a lot of the vegetation to be killed. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the conditions that were produced in our industrial north, you know, with smokestacks and so on, so on, so on, so on, and also with volcano eruptions too. But a lot of acid rain fell in Africa after being, you know, conveyed over there through natural convection and jet streams and so on, so on. So what happened to the acid rain? I mean, how does how does nature get rid of acid rain, and how does it get rid of uh, volcanic salt? Volcanic sulfur. Okay, how does it do that? It, no, it, it, it becomes it neutralizes it over time. It goes from acidic to basic. In other words, how? from an acid acid number to a basic number over time. Just time. It it takes time for that to work its way out of the atmosphere. It's mm-hmm. a long process. It's so that's sure. a thing. Happen. So was acid rain a real thing, or was it a made-up thing for the environmentalists? You know, really, acid rain was before I started teaching, and I think about it, and I I never really taught anything about acid rain because it didn't Next seem time. to be the <clears throat> the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. okay. I'll have to educate myself on it because I don't know that much about it. We didn't mm-hmm. emphasize it. I tried to emphasize the atmosphere is changing and moving. And that mm-hmm. kind of goes against what the left wants you to believe. But that's just me. But I never tried to sway my kids one way or the other. I told them to make their own judgments. But when I showed them the evidence, I showed them the pictures of Galveston. I showed them the pictures of Hurricane Katrina and Biloxi and Andrew in Florida. Once mm-hmm. they saw the pictures, 
I'd let the kids draw their own conclusions. Well, we're all adults here, pretty... so you can try and sway us. We have an audience of adults. We don't have that many kids. At least I don't. Well, we might have a bunch of kids listening. I'm not <laughs> sure. But uh, you can, you can. We're trying to figure. You're talking to adults, and you could be persuasive. In fact, I'm going to send this to Amber. I'm curious yeah. what she thinks about all. Yeah. So we got a couple of minutes left. Uh, Pianki, do you have more questions? Well, I really enjoy this, gentlemen. You remind me of the teachers I had when I was coming up through grade school. Believe it or not, we was taught much of this. And another thing, we were taught much about biology, getting into viruses and bacteria and how all that works. That's why I come, I myself, and of course those of my generation, is less susceptible to COVID pandemic hoopla because we know that uh, nature knows best. Yeah, that's the first thing I did. Uh, Go ahead, Mike, and I'll tell you my story. I was just going to say. The left is not worried about our generation. They know they're not going to win us over. They know that they can't pull the wool over most of our eyes. But what they're looking for is the millennials, under 30s, people that maybe don't have the life experiences we have, and they're taking advantage of that. They're actually using that against, well, us, and they're using it against them because they don't have the background. They don't have the science background or the atmosphere background or things like that. They weren't taught that. I mean, they send everybody to college. That's what we're doing. But I don't think our basic science and stuff in in public schools right now, especially, leaves a lot to be desired. Just my opinion as a teacher. No, no, it it makes perfect sense. Right. Things that are not being taught is, is, is terrifying. You know, and we were curious about this stuff too. I mean, science, we used to do science experiments. I mean, I made a crystal radio, you know, way back when. It didn't work very well, <laughs> but it was just fun to try. So, all these different things. Do you, did you, Mike, did you see a, a decline? And we have to go here in a couple of minutes. Did you, did you see an overall decline in the curiosity of students over time? No, no. And I'll tell you why. Because okay. what I did was I tried to pick particular subjects that I knew would gain their interest. Let's be mm-hmm. honest. I taught eighth grade, as you said, for 25 years. Eighth graders love chaos and mayhem. That's just the <laughs> way they are. Okay? Middle school kids love chaos and mayhem. I used chaos and mayhem in the atmosphere, volcanoes. I mean, my kids loved it when they saw the bodies from Pompeii, from Mount oh, Vesuvius. <laughs> and they saw the bodies. They're like, oh, this is so cool. And, and I had them hooked. I had them hooked. And then from then on, you talk about Mount St. Helens and all this other stuff, or you'd show them big, huge waves and, the, you know, tsunamis and things like that, and they were just crazy. They love that stuff. And then you can use that. You take a student's interest, you connect it to a science concept, and that's how you teach. That's how you get kids to enjoy learning. We don't worry well, about you know what else learning. Is, we're too, mm-hmm. we're too you busy know what teaching standardized Go ahead. Rain fish. Rain fish. <laughs> yep. The fish fall oh, out yeah. of the sky. When was that? From the tornado. Absolutely. Oh. There's stuff you can, oh, yeah, frogs. You know, there, there's certain things to win, and they say it's raining cats and dogs. Well, there's things, there's motivation and things behind those things. They actually have some kind of meteorology context. But when you tell kids this, they get interested. And that's how we keep our kids interested in learning, is you give them facts and statistics, but you do it in a way that's going to turn their brains on, not turn them off. You want to yeah. lose an eighth-grade class, start giving them numbers. 
<laughs> okay, no, no. Well, we do that. No. We do that with okay. Derek. Derek. Derek's our numbers guy with the economy, so that's a different thing. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's talk off the air um, because I don't want to stick to earth science all the time. I want, to, if, but if you're willing to expand yeah. into other science topics, if you want to explain how a nuclear bomb works, if you want to uh, uh, talk about. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, what makes an airplane fly? If you want to talk about, you know, natural process, you know, photosynthesis, chlorophyll, you know, anything that you find interesting science-wise, we don't have a good science hour, and this might be, you might be the right person to do this. So let's chat a bit off the air and see what we can figure out here. But I think there's some, uh, some, some real possibilities here. Pianki, what do you think? Okay. Want to talk to Mike every week? I, I think it'd be kind of fun. Yeah, Mike should show him up two or three times a week. His, no. his, his conversation is better than the <laughs> FBI. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I All don't right. think I have enough time. To, I think I might get the the kibosh from the wife. <laughs> well, nobody nobody gets but, more than yeah, once no, a week except uh, me and, and of course our regular callers like Pianchi. You know that that's a concept. But every reporter yeah. only gets 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 one shot. Uh, and you you wouldn't even have to do the whole hour if you had uh, other stuff or you only had a limited amount. You just let me know. But let's let's start doing this. Let's let's put you on Fridays. Uh, I'll put you on the schedule. Okay. And uh, let's um, let's have some fun with this. Let's uh, so we present a different yeah. science topic or area or uh, current event or related to. I mean, you could do oil. You could talk about how oil really is made. I mean, that would be interesting. I mean, I've done it, but uh, well, we can do it again. Be great, and maybe once in a while, if you want, just once in a while, we could talk about science fiction. I love That's it because too. science fiction has become become science fact. Look at real quick. Look at the communicators uh-huh. on Star Trek. What yeah, do we have now? That. Flip phones. <laughs> Cell phones. <laughs> yeah, but flip I mean, phones particularly. Flip Isn't phones that are outdated. Let's, let's well, be honest. Yeah. Flip phones went so to the Express. Right. Yeah, so things like that. Yeah, when look at your wrist science. phones. Dick Tracy. Yep. Wrist phones. There you go. I'll tell you another one. Floppy disks. Remember all those little disks they dropped into their, their computer things? Then we had floppies for a oh, while. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was similar. Yeah. yeah. So when, when do we get phasers? Oh, I don't know. You got to figure out a way to power that. That—that's the problem. How could you oh. have that much power without well, okay, so, All right. So here's here's a great. I'm serious about this. Here's a great show topic. Tell me how we could power phasers. You want to go? Into, you want to do a science fiction report? I'm serious. I want you to, to design a practical working phaser, even if it has a little nuclear reactor in it. I want you to explain how that would work. Well, we're well, not it has so to far be away. You, you got the phaser. Don't do it now. But yeah, you have to incorporate lasers. And we got lasers. Too. What's the difference between a laser and a phaser? That's true. Oh. But I don't a laser is transmitting. A laser right. is a highway. Then you have to put the energy on the highway that would pop somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Cap by a laser. We're going to change our dialogue. All right, Mike. Uh, all right, I'll, yeah. I'll, I think we've got enough topics here. Let's put you on for Friday. So this will uh, this will complete my Friday lineup, which okay. is which is kind of fun. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. So I want to know, I want to, I want you to design a phaser for us. <laughs> Science fiction should be great. You know, like I, said, I always said about Twilight Zone, it was, it was supposed to be a warning, not a model for future behavior. <laughs> All right, Captain Kirk. Have a topic on levitation too, because we need to have. A, that's going to be the next form of transportation, where you don't need the rockets; you just levitate right off the Earth's gravity, gravity right on up into space. Well, magnets. There are trains that use opposite yeah, polarity magnets, yeah. and they use magnetic propulsion. Yep, and there's no resistance because there's no contact, direct contact, no friction. As opposed it's to the show where there's nothing but friction and resistance. <laughs> that's what we base it on, but that's another story. But that's what makes it fun. 
All right. Well, I got to go. So Thanks, Mike. You Talk have you fun, week. and okay. you will, I'll, I'll text you. I'll give you a message. Okay. All right. Thanks, Sounds Greg. Good. All right. You're welcome. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> this is how we create reports. You made my show, weekend. You, know? you come on the show. You say something interesting. You get to come back. I mean, it's, it's, it's that simple. Pianchi, any, any closing thoughts for this week? Well, I'll tell you what, with Wendy and Mike and, you know, Derek and Chelsea, man, you really do have some interesting uh, attention-grabbing guests. Man, I really enjoy them. Well, good. Well, thank you very much. You know, what's interesting about all of us here, none of us are professionals in terms of, you know, long-term broadcast careers or degrees in communications or, or broadcast studies or all that kind of stuff. You know, and, and none of us are lawyers, uh, except, you know, Jonathan. Um, but for the most part, you know, we're writing laws, we're doing things, we're talking, you know, Derek's, uh, I mean, he studied economics, obviously he knows what he's talking about, but I don't think he has a, like a Yale economics degree or something like that or a PhD, but he, he knows this stuff absolutely cold. You know, so this is, I mean, I, my goal is always to get the most intelligent people. I don't care about your titles. I don't care about your, you know, your lofty backgrounds and things like that. If you know the topic, and you're interesting, whether you're 18-year-old Amber or whether you're, uh, you know, 75-year-old Tina, uh, Tina Terry from Arizona. You know, it doesn't matter to me. If you've got something to say, it's not a bad place to do it. On that well, note, the one reason why I thought we are so bamboozled is because of the, like uh, Mike just said, <clears throat> that uh, these things that we have, uh, in, we have ran into in the last several years, don't mm-hmm. affect us because we know better because we yeah. came up in a period of time where education was more thorough and meaningful and mm-hmm. a lot to learn. But now they don't teach that. And when you're well, dealing with a person, people that's ignorant, you can right. just about sell them anything. Yeah, that's true. And that's why I asked the question about how curious kids were, because I was curious, you were curious. And I'm wondering if people generations ago were more curious because we had more imagination, because we were forced to use our brains to be creative. See, nowadays, everything's done for these kids. Well, I'll get Amber back on this conversation. But if you have a phone that, that does everything for you, a computer said, that does everything for you, you don't have to think about anything. Go ahead. You know, a key thing that he said is that the intelligence of nature and these things actually, act, actually become intuitive and mm-hmm. intelligent. They have a conscience. The atmosphere has a conscience that animals can tune into it. You know, a storm could be off an hour, but dogs would get restless and start acting crazy because mm-hmm. they can sense that it's coming. Oh, yeah, the animals all disappear the day before an earthquake. That's how we knew. <laughs> so where's your pet? Oh, uh, they've hidden. Okay, it must be an earthquake coming. And, and they were right. I mean, the animals knew. I don't know how they knew, but they knew. So keep a, keep a poodle if you, want to know, if you want an earthquake detector. You know, so it's fascinating. And fact, when animals, animals look at the size of their feet, uh-huh. those, their size of their feet are nothing more than receptacles into the ground. Hmm. And that's why come they can hear, they know when a herd of, of willow beasts is headed their way. Hmm. Or even when they, when they, wait a minute, here's the big thing. They know when a herd of army ants is coming their way because they can't stand them because they crawl up their trunk, their hmm. trunk, trunk, and uh, cause them all sorts of problems. They go crazy when they get around ants. 
hopefully they're on water because <laughs> that's the only way to uh, to deal with it. Yeah, it was, that makes an interesting thing. So, so, so army ants. I mean, everything fears army ants. I mean, even the biggest elephant could be a victim of army ants. You know, I mean, they're they're horrible things, but they're easily avoided. You can hear army ants coming a mile away. That's wild. Through their feet. Huh. Do they move at night? Isn't life just something else, Greg? She really is. It's just something else, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't think people – and people get so caught up in their world, they don't realize the wonder around them. Like uh, I was bike riding yesterday. And for the first time, uh, I saw an armadillo up close. Now, we didn't have them in California. I'm not used to them. But I was really curious. I'm about, you know, five, ten feet away. I don't know what this thing's going to do. I couldn't see if it had eyes or not. didn't look like it had eyes. If it does have eyes, they're very small. But this, this thing was the coolest animal. You know, it's running, running around, digging around. Its, its nose was all covered with dirt. And I sort of like the red clay uh, earth that we have here. And it's, it's, it's uh, you know, digging up stuff and fussing around and going through the grass. And it's just going about its business. I'm watching this thing for like five minutes. It was great. But you look at an armadillo, I mean, this is, this is like a dinosaur. This is an old, ancient animal. It's got these cute little ears that are poking up and listening. You knew where it was, but as soon as I stopped moving, when I remained perfectly still, it, didn't know I, it, it lost interest in me. It didn't matter. I didn't count. But when I rode up, it was looking, looking around, and the ears were kind of in my direction. So it knew something was there, but once I stopped moving, it didn't care. Then it goes about its business. But watching an armadillo was like this really cool experience. I've never seen one except dead on the freeway, unfortunately. But... Um, they're like a really cool animal. And you know they're old. they got the armor plating. I mean, this is like one step after the dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. they got the plating the, on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got, there's probably one of the first uh, mammals. You know, turtles, tortoises, uh, and, uh, and armadillos, and, and any segmented animal like that are, are ancient. I mean, they're way down on the uh, you know, early on the Earth life scale. But, yeah, it's fascinating. So, yeah, they're, they're just full of wonders. You just got to be open to it. And you know you talk about the elephant. You know how the elephant takes dirt and throw it all over his body, <clears throat> especially a certain kind of dirt so it can reflect the sun. They yeah, will be less. They stay cooler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always yeah, wonder how furry animals. Exactly. Yeah, I always wonder how fur animals stay cool in the summer, but it actually insulates them. You know, it's an interesting experiment. I remember working with some guys, you know, in, in the hot summers in California. We had to work outside, and I always had lots of hair. And I said, how can you do that, man? You're so hot. And I'm looking at these bald heads. I said, you guys are all sweaty. Sweat's pouring into your eyes. You're hot. I said, I'm actually cool with my hair because it insulates. So the sweat stays under the hair, you know, insulates my head. My head is cool. I'm actually cooler than these guys that shave their heads to stay cool. And that's how animals stay uh, cooler in the summertime. They actually have an insulating layer of air under their hair, you know, where the sweat is that keeps them cool. And you don't think about that. You know, how would animals stay, stay well, cool when they're covered the, with fur, uh, you know? Look at the human is before you had Homo erectus, mm-hmm. uh, they crawled around. Uh, they they their mobility was all fours. Therefore, their back was exposed to the sun. That's why they had a lot of hair on their back. That makes sense. Keep cool. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I wonder when humans developed hats because as guys got balder when they got older, did they just stay out of the sun or did they start wearing hats? <laughs> Interesting thought. Solar bear, a polar bear, <laughs> solar bear. Polar bear skin is black. Huh. That's interesting. Well, that actually makes sense. So if they can move their uh, their fur up a little bit and expose their skin to the sun in the coldest days, they can actually absorb some heat. Exactly. Makes sense to me. <laughs> and then they fold their fur down in the in the heat of the day, in the summertime, and open their fur up at night, or open it up when uh, in the wintertime. Boy, the things we cover here. Right? You know, I love the show. You never know what we're going to talk about. Well, this is our science uh, 
science time. All right. The only thing I'm, I'm just looking at next week and I'm watching, there's some very interesting things happening just to sort of to, to keep a watch next week. Uh, they say Hunter Biden potentially could be uh, uh, arrested. I don't think it's going to happen because he's a Democrat. Um, but I'm very curious what the oil effect is. And it's very interesting that as Brandon is releasing 1 million barrels a day of, of our strategic petroleum reserve, which you know, he can only do for so long, the Saudis, they picked 2 million barrels to restrain. So we're still down a million barrels. I don't think that's an accident. I don't think it's an accident that happened you know, a month before our election. I don't think it's an accident that they hate Brandon because he's going for the Palestinians. I think they really like the Abraham Accords. And, and the, the trade with Israel and settling things in the Middle East. I think they hate the fact that uh, Brandon wants to give Iran a nuclear bomb. So I think this is payback. You know, unfortunately, it's a campaign the donation. Well, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is a campaign donation. Are you saying what the Saudis, this is a campaign donation to the Republicans? To foundations, yes. They contributed to foundations. Hillary Who Foundation, the Clinton Foundation. Which Who, she didn't Saudis? win. The Saudis got their money back. Wait, wait, wait. I mean, I'm not clear on that. So you're saying the Saudis contributed to the uh, the Clinton Foundation? They were, they were contributing to the Clinton Foundation and have proposing more, but she didn't win the election. Oh. And they didn't get their money back. That's how this stuff works, Greg. It's, it's always money behind it. Yeah. It's just be like Cori Bush in, in St. Louis, one of her biggest donors. Uh, Stacey Abrams, one of their biggest donors, guess who? Soros. Now, just trace his connections, his affiliation. Oh, yeah, I know. I was just thinking that maybe candidates should give their contributions back after an election, any unspent money. They never do that, though. They always keep it. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. All right, let's get out of here. Let me play a couple things. We'll be back next week and uh, having more fun. So let's go on a high note with a little bit of, of music uh, from Tchaikovsky. Thank you. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system.
You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.